0: Hello everyone and welcome to another edition of Turned Out of Punk. I'm your host Damian Abraham and once again I'm bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up listening to punk, may or may not still be involved with punk, but had the life changed by the genre in a major way. And today on the show, huge guest, someone I've known for years but never had a chance to talk to like this. From the band Sum 41, from the band The Operation Cone, Jason McCaslin is here. And as you will hear, an amazingly sweet person, someone I have known for years but, you know, one of those things where you, until you get a chance to punish someone about their punk rock journey, do you ever really know them? More on that in one second. But first, if you want to get in touch with me, head over to the email address, turnedoutapunkpodcast at gmail.com. That is run by my brother and show producer and normally guest booker extraordinaire, Tris Abraham, and he will get the message to me. But you can find me on social media at Damien and, uh, and, oh, there's also a, a turned out a punk TikTok page at turned out a punk, a YouTube page at turned out a punk an Instagram page run by Tristan and a Facebook page run by Tristan. So there's lots of social media for you to check out out there. If you, if you want to waste more time, we've, we've got you. And I'm making these videos. I'm making these punk rock history videos made one this week, connecting Henry Winkler to Gigi Allen. You listen to that video and you'll find it. Spoiler, check out Sarah Burns' episode last week And you'll also find out what happened Then uh, uh, that that's that uh, I also play in a band We're called Fucked Up We have a newish record called One Day Very proud of it Thank you if you have checked it out And if you have not checked it out You're free to do so uh, We also have a bunch of cool uh, singles And 7 Inches Including a brand new one called Cops That just went up the other day for for order You can find out more information about all this including a new European merch store, so people can stop complaining to me about the shipping costs, I understand, uh, for Fucked Up over at fuckedup.cc. We also will be going on some tours coming up with Dark Thoughts and Restraining Order, uh, both incredible bands. Check them out um, in advance or check them out with us at the shows. And, uh, yeah, that is that. All right, on to today's show. As I set off the top... Jason Cohn McCaslin is on the show. An incredibly sweet person that I've known for years, just kind of like from around and running into him, but never had a chance, as I said, to sit down and have sort of this sort of in-depth conversation. And yeah, this is a this is a really uh, a really great conversation. It goes a lot of different places, and I'm very excited for you to hear it. Uh, this all came about though because Cohn hit me up to come on his radio show. Cohn has a radio show that you can hear over at uh, ninety four point four. The Rock FM if you are in the Southern Ontario area, but you can listen to it live wherever you are on the internet. It is on Sundays at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and we had a great conversation on that. And he plays music and stuff, and you'll hear him refer to some other stuff. So check out this show uh, if you are into music, which, which you probably are if you are listening to this podcast. But anyway, so Cohen hit me up to come on his show. We had a really fun conversation, and then of course I hit him up to come on here. But Credit where credit is due. This was supposed supposed to happen actually a long time ago because uh Sum 41's tour manager and fucked up's tour manager when we we're in the UK, Tom Clinkard, one of the greatest people in the world, actually hooked me up with Cohn's number, but I got COVID and then I, you know, I dropped the ball anyway. But now it has finally happened, and you get to enjoy the results. For yourself uh, Sum 41 will be going on Tours all summer They've got lots of stuff Coming up You can find out More information At sum 41com Cone of course Is on various forms Of social media And uh, once again Check out Cone's Cave On The Rock 94.4 FM And uh, and that's it uh, There's uh, Yeah Sit back Relax And enjoy Cone On Turned Out a Punk Cone, thank you so much for coming on the show.
1: <laughs> Thanks for having me.
0: Well, as we we're just talking about off air, this feels like one extended conversation because I was just on your show, Cone's Cave, and now here you are on Turned Out a Punk. And it's we're we're just like basically super condensed bonding session over these two (laughs) extended points conversations it's funny
1: like we probably talked like a handful of times in our life and now we're talking twice in two weeks (laughs) yeah yeah
0: and and way longer than i think that we'd ever spoken in the up until the the 20 some odd years prior to this yeah Uh, yeah yeah but i gotta start it off the way they all start off over here which is how did you get in a punk during the first time you ever came across it
1: oh yeah um well this would have probably been No, I'm 42. So in 1994, when the whole Green Day and Offspring thing exploded, um, you know, back then I wasn't really uh, hip to the underground scene yet. Like it was I was a lot of I listened to the radio a lot going ninth grade. So I think the first punk album I really actually heard and got was Smash by The Offspring. Mm -hmm. And I wore that one out and I also got Dookie too. Uh, But for some reason, Smash don't know I gravitated towards that one more because it was faster and I never really heard anything like that it's like wow what's fast it's like fast drum beat you know the punk the punk beat um whereas Green Day you know the album is phenomenal uh but it was just you know it was like standard uh tempos and stuff like that so that was kind of like my introductory into it and it wasn't until a couple years later when you know I joined Sum 41 and started really hanging out with Derek and Steve and they were kind of like well listen to no effects how about like here's Pennywise and no use for a name and I remember the one record in my teenage years that really like it blew my mind, and I was just like, fuck, I, I love this, was Out and Out the Wolves by Rancid. That album, when I got that, that kind of changed me forever. Then I was kind of like, I only want to listen to this style of music. <laughs> you know, like, I only like this now. Like, screw the grunge stuff, screw the alternative rock stuff. I just want to listen to punk music. And that kind of changed throughout the years. Like, I kind of went back and forth through my 20s and 30s, but it was out outcome the wolves that kind of changed me for for good
0: were you listening prior to that like when you said being listening to the radio stuff was it mainly like cfmy it was yeah yeah
1: it, yeah yeah for sure and I would stay up and tape like uh you know George Strombolopoulos was on like late nights and I would I would have my cassette tape and I'd tape uh episodes of it and listen back and uh you know I remember like you played a lot of like indie rock stuff too that you know wasn't typically on the radio and um, yeah, so it was it was CFMY mostly. and they weren't playing, I mean, they, obviously they're playing Green Day and offspring, and that's how I heard about it. Uh, but they were playing obviously no effects and bad religion and all all that stuff that I, through my, you know, teenage years began to love,
0: yeah, it's interesting, like looking back on it, what was and wasn't played on there. Like rancid, I would get a little bit of play. And I remember Rancid did a live in studio appearance, yeah. but it felt like live in Toronto, that show was the show where they would play. That would be where you'd hear the Bad Religion stuff or or Pansy Division or something like, you know, out of regular rotation stuff there.
1: Yeah. And I think, you know, what's great about that Smash album from um, Offspring as well is they're on Epitaph. So, they, it, you know, I was a big um, I, I would I'd really dig into their inlays, all mm-hmm. these bands that I buy. So, you know, they they had like Pennywise. Thank you, Pennywise. Thank you, Bad Religion. You know, they were thanking all these bands. I was like, who is Bad Religion? I got, yeah. I got, I got, I got to figure that out. And so, you you know, the same as, same as green day. And uh, you know, then you, you later learn about like rancid and then the operation Ivy connection. And then it just kind of snowballs as you know, but um, yeah, it, it, I I was a big reader of inlays and I found out about bands that way too.
0: I felt like that was the um, like, that was the key way to discover back then. Like you're saying, like the, I remember the let's go liner notes, having all the flyers and just going through and being like, Bikini Kill, Sam yeah. I Am, like yeah. <laughs> Born yeah. Again, like all these wild bands that they were playing with. Or, yeah, like you're saying, the thanks list. Bands would thank, especially back then, I guess the scene was was kind of smaller. Oh, yeah. So they'd be thanking bands that were kind of like all over the map sonically. Like you'd have bands thanking kind of hardcore bands or or much more poppy bands or kind of emo bands. Like it was kind of more united at that point.
1: And, and it seemed like in high school, like I remember in high school, um, I, I didn't know about the Fat Records thing until Derek and Steve went to Warp Tour in like 96. Mm-hmm. And I remember them coming back going like, oh my God, you got to check out Punk and Like, You got to check out all these like Strung Out and, and all these bands. And I was like, who the hell are these bands? Like, how'd you find out about these bands? Because there was no internet. Like there's no, you couldn't Google bands and you couldn't, uh, you know, there was no Spotify, obviously. So it was like, it was, it was much harder to find out of bands. But when you did, it felt like they were your own. I remember mm-hmm. it was kind of like this thing of like, we know about this band, and no one else does in the high school. And it was kind of this cool thing, you know.
0: I I feel like though you're you're you know maybe I'm just looking at it from with rose colored glasses from afar type thing, but it felt like when stuff really got going, y- your scene was one of the bigger scenes in Southern Ontario. Like, was it a lot of kids at a high school at a certain point, especially when you guys started exploding? Because you would have still been in high school when when it first started popping off, right?
1: Uh, we were kind of we were out of high school by then, like you know we got signed uh, in '99, so we were just out okay, of high school, yeah. like one, one year out. Okay. Um, but you know there wasn't a lot of people in our high school in Ajax that knew about that Fat Records epitaph mm. thing. Um, you know, a lot of people were into like Weezer and you know, you know stuff that was on the radio, stuff that you know everyone was listening to. It was this this little uh, section of people like you know Derek, Steve, um, Dave was into metal. But he was kind of slowly getting into punk too. He was in a metal band and a Rage Against the Machine type band, um, and so th- I was learning about it through I think Derek and Steve mostly, and this other guy John Marshall who was in Sum Forty One as well, and uh, and that's how kind of our kind of group was learning about it. But no one else in the school seemed to know about it. Maybe a handful.
0: It felt like though, because like maybe it's just that all the bands from your thing were or from your scene were all like actually doing it like putting out tapes because there's also like like a uh, special ed and yeah. and that kind of like wave of bands too or like those kind of people too it just felt like i'm like oh, i remember playing battles of the bands and these bands would show up with cds and t-shirts you know and then you guys would have the tape out before any other band seemed to have figured that out it was like or i guess it was before you joined the band even it yeah just, it felt like there was a lot of sort of industriousness to the yeah bands in Ajax I guess
1: yeah there was special ed and then obviously closet monster and and but there and toe but you know that's mm-hmm. kind of like like Ajax and and Mark Spickluck was at a different school so there was like these like little pockets okay. of people that kind of knew about it and you'd see them at house parties um and that was a big thing in Ajax is we, a lot of bands always played people's basements that was there was no uh there's there's no place to play the chameleon cafe came kind of during the middle of high school. And then, you know, it was Derek, I think even says like he had to convince the owner to start doing shows there. You know, he just wanted to be like a cafe where you go drink coffee. But they had a stage. So he's like, hey, just let us we'll bring some friends and we'll play. Um, But but up until that point, it was like just basements. But so you'd see like the closet monster guys or special ed and toe and all these guys would come into town and play people's basements.
0: Mm. And that's kind of how it happened at first. So what was your first kind of like basement DIY show that you went to?
1: Ooh, this, I mean, even my drummer, um, Matt, in my, in my like kind of grunge alternative band before Sum 41 was called Second Opinion. And he used to his last name was Bran. So he used to, he used to hold these uh, concerts called (laughs) Branorama. and So I think that was probably the first one. And uh, you know, Sum 41 played it, 747, which was Dave's band at the time played it um actually his metal band embodiment played it and so that was kind of it like Matt was putting on a lot of basement shows just because our singer at the time didn't like to play he 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 was comfortable in that basement just like practicing and smoking weed that was like I just want to smoke weed drink beer and let's just practice so I was like practice for what you know so so Matt had to like convince his parents to have these parties so so Ryan felt uh you know he felt like he could do it because he was in the basement that we
0: practiced in i remember playing with you guys oh really P. yeah you're in trouble was my my pre-whatever okay. band but like did you play i think i swear I, at least i remember seeing you guys on flyers but did you play any of the opera house battle of the bands or the El combo battle of the bands
1: we did but we were we were we were called wizard
0: there oh wow <laughs> that's awesome was it well, kind of like grunge vibes
1: it was oh yeah like it was <laughs> straight up nirvana um like it, it was funny because we i think like matt had gone down to the sum 41 uh it might have been called they might have been called casper at the time to the opera house and matt was at the show and then so there was like a sign-up table to like for battle of bands like you go sign up your band and it was so loud and matt was like He's guys like what's your name and matt's like wizard he's like lizard he's like no no wizard he's like lizard tongue he's like okay got it and so the first posters they printed was Lizard Tongue. <laughs> so Matt had to like call. He's like, You got to change the posters. It's Wizard. He's like, Ah, it doesn't matter, man. <laughs> <laughs> they were like, no, There's no way there. they're
0: changing that post. Yet. <laughs> I think or lizard are, tongue. Yeah. I think we are. Yeah. I think we are U R E. No, we are U R I N trouble on the first Opera House flyer as well oh, because they oh, didn't okay. write You're in trouble. So, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I definitely did you guys come to Mods and Rockers one time and drop off a CD, maybe? it's a possible. funding drive i kind of i have very strong memories about that name and then of course yeah. you know like uh I like, well matt would wind up playing with avril yeah
1: yeah uh, I, we I, we kind of got him into that and mark uh you know we got a call we were on network management at the time and we got a call from terry mcbride who is like the ceo and he just said hey, i got this new um kind of like uh pop punk girl uh she's a big fan of some 41 and and she doesn't have a band though. And she's like 15. And we're like, holy shit. Okay. Well, we know a couple of guys in Ajax. She's like, she she would love to just have, you know, have, you know, guys that you grew up with or that are in your scene to try out for her band. Like, well, so we sent Matt out. We said, Matt, you should maybe go try out. And he was so he was into it, and Mark's big luck too. And they all flew out to Vancouver and tried out, and they're in the band. You know, that was it. And then we started seeing them around. It's like, holy shit, these guys that we grew up in Ajax with. Matt was in my in my first band It's like now they're in Avril and now they're way bigger than us you know <laughs>
0: <laughs> well yeah because it got well obviously Avril got huge but Matt's the one consistent because I think he was in the band for most of the the run right of it I think two he's records still, two records too right yeah, two records yeah it's wild also looking who kind of came through that band in terms of like music personality like the guy who produces all those Bruno Mars records now was in there and Charlie charlie and yeah and yeah like it's 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 kind of it's kind of cool when you kind of break down that history i did like a lecture one time in like a music convention breaking down avril levine's lineups and like (laughs) who it connects to and how it connects to skinny puppy through network and obviously to (laughs) yourselves and it's it's fascinating it's like uh you know avril is a is worthy of study the band
1: and then she also had like uh, Jesse Colburn in the band, mm-hmm. who was also in Closet Monster, and and Mark, had, you know, he had Underground Operations, and uh, you know, so he had, um, Blind, Protest the side. Hero, Protest the Hero, yeah. It
0: yeah. was like it. It was a, uh, yeah, like it, it. Even before that, though, like he put on the propagandi Show. I remember pro- going to the, those propagandi Shows when they happened. Those and those were like you know huge shows, like legendary shows for for myself to kind of go to like it felt like the kids there were just and look where they wound up right like a lot of bands like from some 41 to the stuff that he did obviously and then of course matt being in in, and and those guys being in avril Lavigne's band like people wound up doing stuff in music out of that scene
1: yeah 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 and i remember mark booking the propaganda thing and then he also booked gob at the chameleon cafe Mm. which kind of blew our mind too because soda Soda was on Much Music. And I was we were just like, How are you getting these fucking bands? Like, and we were we were kind of pissed because at the time, Sum 41 and Clause of Monster were kind of rivals. Yeah. Like, there was like this intertwining band. Like Mark was in Sum 41 for a second, but then the like then the band kind of split and he kind of took John from Sum 41. There's this big rift. And so it was like this rivalry in Ajax at 16 years old. <laughs> <laughs> but but it seemed like Mark was getting all the shows because he was booking them so like it was a weird thing
0: yeah well then and then because when you guys blew up the obviously the hater energy was (laughs) very high in toronto
1: yeah
0: being like oh those guys aren't cool because they're beefing with mark and it was like this whole thing Uh, but it's now it's so quaint to kind of think about the fact that here we all are like maybe 200 kids across southern ontario and we're all kind of like winding up trying to do do it in music and all having careers in music but at the time it was it was very heated you know oh Toronto, yeah big haters in Toronto
1: yeah for sure and and that's I, I I I guess we didn't know what to expect because it you know it did kind of happen fast for us from like half hour power getting signed half hour power to all killer and then fat lip um but you know it was quickly like because Mark joined Avril's band it it was kind of like water under the bridge then like because we used to we were we were running into them Derek and Avril weren't together but uh we were running into them quite a bit because we were managed by the same people and and uh so we were just constantly running into them and and so it was always just like why are we fighting and you know we 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 suggested him to the band so it's like we we know this guy Mark and so yeah it was kind of the Toronto thing I, I guess we were the thing is we were gone so much that I and you know with without um a lot of social media around because there was no social media uh we didn't really feel it as much like the hate but I I knew I think we all knew it was there because we were like the new kids around that were kind of uh becoming successful and but we we just weren't home enough to even feel it
0: yeah and it got you know? and I think the thing is that it got so big you know like yeah. if you had gotten like normally bands start feeling that hate because they only get big enough to get big maybe within toronto or, or maybe canada you know but like you guys it was global like yeah it's interesting to kind of think about it. there's no in terms of record sales in terms of like sort of global impact like some 41 is the biggest canadian punk band ever
1: uh
0: i don't know <laughs> I, I think about this way too much yeah. Cone. Yeah. i promise you I've done, <laughs> I've done the math i can show you the 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 math behind me but it's interesting yeah. and it's also it's it's cool to kind of look at it as being sort of the the uh, like culmination is is i don't want to say like in some sort of way that these bands were irrelevant prior to because they're not they're like really important bands but like this sort of like east end of toronto eastern southern ontario or toronto region of southern ontario i should say kind of like you know two-line filler trigger happy um dead season like there's all these bands that were kind of coming out of there and it's weird how it all, well, not weird. It's it's cool how it all builds to like sort of the Sum 41 explosion.
1: Yeah. And those are bands that we all, that we saw in high school. And um, we, that we actually, like, we looked up to. I remember seeing Trigger Happy um, as like a 16 or 15 year old kid at the dungeon in Oshawa. And just thinking like it was one of the greatest live shows I'd ever seen at that time. Because, yeah. you know, Al, Al was nuts back then. You <laughs> know He was like in the crowd and he was like, he was like in the circle pit with the crowd. And I was like, what the fuck is going on right now? this is great and so these are all bands that yeah we kind of we were trying to open for all the time we were like if we could get a trigger happy show or if we could get a two-line filler show or five knuckle chuckle like we talked about yeah like a couple weeks ago i was like if we could open for that was like the biggest thing for us we were trying to open for all these bands
0: yeah and it was such a explosion in music back then like those opera house battle of the bands those those um i guess supernova was already kind of hated by the time i was (laughs) playing battle of the bands like it was already yeah. sort of a despised entity within all ages music but they you know they're another place that gave a lot of bands their first shows like totally and yeah you know and it's as shitty as pay-to-play shows are where you have to sell tickets to your friends uh are now that i've talked to bands from other places like los angeles or london you'd have to pay the club straight up like, to play it, the it, shows and then yeah. bring out your friends
1: you know the funny, but the funny thing about the pay-to-play is, and people might not know this if they're not in bands, but that happens through your whole career. Because yeah. how many tours have we all gone on where you actually you're in the red a lot? Like yeah. you go on tour, you come home, and you've basically paid to go on tour. So that that whole battle of bands thing is not as bad as I thought it was. Because as I became a musician and that was my career, I was like, wow, I'm I'm, I'm paying to play quite a bit still.
0: <laughs> you know? Yeah, right. Yeah, you're right. Because like, especially early on, when you're going out on tour, you're doing it for the love of, like, there's certainly yeah. no thought of remuneration at the end of it, but.
1: Oh, no, we were living with our parents through like most of it until like, I would say till, like, does this look infected? We, were, we would come home off tours on All Killer No Filler from an arena tour across Canada, and we I'd go sleep at my parents' house. Like, because we didn't have any money and we weren't yeah. making any money. And people, you know, Fat Lip and Into Deep were everywhere, but it was kind of like people assumed you were just all of a sudden rich. Like, no, no, no. I still drive my Hyundai accent <laughs> and I live at my parents' house.
0: <laughs> yeah. I remember, t- I remember at the time, Greg Nori saying that it's going to be, it will take like three hits before a band starts making money, before some 40 months starts making money on their records which to me was mind-blowing because like you're saying those songs were everywhere like like worldwide yeah
1: you know it was it, it was uh, a long thing to get my you know actually at the time after all killer all, no filler was over um greg begged the record company to give us they wanted to roll our royalties into the next, not to get all business but to roll our royalties into the next record And just keep going that way and greg was like listen these guys have just sold three million albums worldwide they've had a number one hit in the us and they're still living with their parents can you just give them a little money so they can go get a apartment downtown or in ajax or wherever so they've and and lear cohen who was the head of island at the time he was really cool he had he had uh tour managed the beastie boys and he'd been around for uh run dmc and all that stuff so he he was like yeah you know what that's fair um, so he gave us a little bit of money, and we could all move out of our parents' house. But that wasn't the way it was supposed to play out. We would have still lived with our parents because we couldn't the thing is we were gone so much we couldn't even get a side job. We couldn't mm-hmm. even get a part-time job at home. So it's like we are just a way, away away, making no money. so we had to live with our parents, and that was the way it was,
0: yeah, and, and it it's, was fine. We
1: were fine with it, <laughs> but...
0: yeah, and it's amazing how the industry's kind of set up to do that to bands like they're 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 gambling every time they put out their your record you know in the terms of how successful it will be for them financially so they're always like let's just roll let's just keep the money on the table let's roll yeah. the dice again come on let's keep it yeah. over here they don't want yeah. you to cash out because we'll make a better video on the next one yeah more money yeah. now you know? yeah <laughs> well, it's, it's amazing too because you your your videos well the first the first video was incredible like that like such a cool kind of vibe to it too was that shot where's that shot in ajax uh, which one the the um the uh fat
1: so oh fat lip uh fat lip was california so Cal- it was in pomona california i'm sure you played the glass house yeah uh, so the glass house at the time uh because we were coming off of, uh, of half hour power was the only place that we could actually headline in the world um people for some reason in pomona like this saw half, half <laughs> hour power so we so we we're doing fat Lip, so and we wanted kids there but we wanted real kids we didn't want to hire kids we didn't want actors Um, so we, the label was like, why don't you go do it in Pomona under like in some like desert under a bridge somewhere. And we're like, so we have invited all those people in the fat lip video are, are real fans of ours. And, and we just said, bring whatever you want. And it was basically like jackass style where like the director just went around and filmed people doing whatever they were doing. Like people just hanging out drinking booze and people brought like weird masks and you know one girl was like hey if you want to shave my head you can shave my head you know it's like this kid skateboarder like all that stuff was off the cuff and those were like real fans of ours in pomona california at the time
0: that's an amazing video i guess i don't know why i assumed it was ajax because it's far too gnarly to be
1: anywhere oh yeah yeah (laughs) and too hot and too hot looking
0: do i look at you i was like you know maybe maybe it's Somewhere. like yeah like some desert area in, in eastern toronto area yeah you
1: know, the first first video is makes no difference yeah. which was in mississauga
0: yes that's and the mississauga that's the house party video
1: that's the house party video with uh dmx yes um the late great dmx <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah that, which is a you guys always had these unbelievable collaborations too, like far outside of the world or realm of normal punk bands would wind up I th- doing.
1: I think at the beginning people were shocked about all, all the collaborations because it was the DMX. DMX thing was like that was weird for us too. I mean, we were yeah. like, what the hell is he doing here? You know, um he just happened to be in town shooting a movie.
0: Yeah. He was and- here for a while, right? Because I remember like people there were a lot of sort of DMX run in stories. Never bad. Like always yeah. really positive stories from the sounds of it.
1: Yeah, he was he was nice to us. I mean, he had a whole crew. You know, the hip hop guys always bring a lot of people along, and they had their own camper trailer. And was like, this is our first video ever. I'm like, what the hell is this guy doing here? And they're just, you could just see the the barrels of weed coming out of the windows of the camper. And then you know, he's just like, he came and met us, and we had to do a photo. And he was he just he looked at us, and we were kind of like, you know, we did goofy photos back then. That was like we just like didn't want to have serious photos. But he was like no fucking smiling no smiling so just like trying to hold in our laugh and you know trying to be kind of like tough and hard with this dmx We were like 20 years old it was crazy and then the thing was the stipulation was the four-wheeler he drives in on to the house party he wanted so i was like i'll come but i want i get the four-wheeler after
0: like sure i guess (laughs) i mean (laughs) take it (laughs) yeah and then i guess slayer too was kind of shortly thereafter as well
1: yeah carrie um you know, I just actually read an interview with Carrie King. Uh, it popped up in my feed, and he said that he had declined to be in our song. We did a song; it's called "What We're All About." It's on the Spider Man soundtrack. Yeah, and he had said that he had declined our invitation to be on that song ten times. I, I, I did not know that. I don't think anyone in our band knew that. Um, and I don't know if he's just saying that now because he's embarrassed about it or what, but he might be. I mean, it's one of our worst songs we've ever done, too. Like, I don't, I dislike the song kind of too. I dislike the video even more, but I love the fact that Carrie was in it because we were such, we're still such big Slayer fans. Um, that was another strange one, but I guess he got talked into it because he'd done Beastie Boys before. Um, and you know, we were, we were kind of popular at the time and, and so he was on the same label. And so he, yeah, another thing, he like, he came to the video shoot and, you know, I'm looking at this guy. And he's got, you know, fucking Satan tattooed on his head. And we're, and we're like 21 years old. We're like, what the hell is this guy doing in this video? Like, and, But he was really cool to us. Like, really cool.
0: But That's awesome. And it's like hardly the most embarrassing thing Fl- Slayer has done in the career. <laughs>
1: you know? Oh, yeah. Some, like, some missteps. It, it, especially like that video too you know it's i
0: love that video i think that video is awesome like it was it was crazy when that came out because i know you say it wasn't quick and it wasn't quick because like i remember you know seeing you guys play with 10 foot pole at the elma combo or you know other like you know smaller headlining shows like it was a real gradual thing but then at least from the outside once it started happening like it felt like it was from half hour of power kind of getting hot to the spider-man soundtrack what was that two years yeah
1: basically yep
0: that's wild like that must have yep. been you know like and I, I i say this all the time like I've, I've been through it a little bit but like nowhere like that like nowhere the level of explosion that thing was
1: it, the thing is back then it always feels so long you know mm-hmm. like you know as uh, you know between half round power till spider-man it felt like it took forever like it was just yeah. like because you know you're just constantly touring and you're doing this and that and you're flying there you're flying that. like you like you don't really have a perception of how quick it is you just think oh my god like this is taking forever you know i don't know it just felt like forever but then when you look back it's just like this between half hour and power even chuck that was four years three albums four years like it's crazy
0: yeah that is that is really wild too but i guess that's also like it's kind of a machine at that point right like they you got to turn out the records make videos and and then tour and support them so it the the years probably end up slipping away
1: yeah true and you know the being on a major label was kind of like that you know they it was all about um capitalizing on success and you know back then I'm I'm kind of glad we did all those records kind of back to back to back because we were young enough to do it like Mm -hmm. like now if they want us to do that kind of stuff it's like holy fuck slow down man like but yeah. back then we were so young. Um we could just, you know, sleep wasn't a never a thing for us. Like we just never slept. Um, so you know, it was it was it was it wasn't easy to do that back then, but it's easier.
0: When did you guys first meet Greg Nori? are like was it before you joined the band or is it afterwards?
1: Yeah, no, it was uh it was definitely before. Uh I, I think Derek and Steve went and saw a Trouble Charger show and with they had their little demo and there you know it was at a little club in toronto or something like that and i think they hung out after and and greg came out and the band came out to the into the club to have a drink or something and they kind of just handed him his their little demo and, and and i think they had a show like at the opera house or something coming up and they said yeah we're also playing at the opera house in a couple weeks and so check it and he showed up like i he for, i don't <laughs> know why you know you know like bands get stuff all the time hey i'm playing a show here i'm playing a show there it's like Greg from Trouble Charger actually showed up. It's, it was crazy, and then you know they just started becoming friends and hanging out. And Greg was kind of uh, mentoring them a little bit on songwriting, and and but at the time also Mark from Len was in the picture. Mm-hmm. Um, they had they had met Mark Costanzo, and so Mark was actually more of a manager figure than Greg was. And how the story goes, so I'm told, is that Greg started seeing real potential in some 41 and started pushing mark out a little bit and it it actually caused like their friendship to kind of uh split up and you know i've talked to mark about this because he was on my cones cave like maybe like six months ago and he was like yeah greg totally like shoved me out he goes i was basically kind of the manager of the band and greg was like he started seeing like a lot of potential and started being like you know i'm gonna do this and started kind of talking to derek about it and then all of a sudden greg was the manager and then I came
0: along. I remember because uh, we were all on the tape, Punk No Die. Uh, <laughs> yeah. By that point, I was playing in a band called Starting Block. or, or We okay. might have been Promise Kept by then. And then Mike <laughs> from uh, Fucked Up, his old band, Where It Ends, was on there. And there's like a bunch of like sort of those bands. And we got the tape and we're listening to it. And most of it is unlistenable. <laughs> but I Want to Be an Astronaut came on. And ah. it was like, holy fuck. This is a catchy-ass song, and I guess that must have been it, right? Like, as you're saying, as a band, you get shit all the time, and most of the time, it's, like, a lot of stuff on the Punk No Die tape. But, like, the songs were there, I guess, from from that early on. Like, that song jumped out head and shoulders above all the other songs. That was the only song we would listen to on the tape.
1: Yeah, and that was kind of like, a. I remember, uh, it's kind of a kind of a joke song, obviously, you know, it's like how those kind of joke songs become real songs, all of a sudden, um, the, the ones that are just like, Oh, this is really funny. And it comes out, it's like, No, I really like that. And everyone starts liking it. And it's like, Oh, fuck, why did we even release that? <laughs> <laughs> you know, but I, I I did like it too. And I, I, they recorded that before I was in the band. And I remember that song really, really well. And, and Marcus Stanzo was on that.
0: Oh, he's on that, too. So yeah, that's by that he, point, he's already working with... Them.
1: He he did kind of like this little backing vocal, just one line, and he's on that song.
0: Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it's, uh, yesterday I was driving in the car with the family, and I put on Len, and I put on the, the second Len record, like before, the, you know, oh. Steal My Sunshine record. Yeah. I'm awesome. Like, yeah. it's so great, the songwriting
1: on... Yeah, that. so that has, like, Smarty Pants, and uh, um, what's that? That kind of, like, uh, song with the... Uh,
0: snowboarding video. Um, What was that
1: fucking song? Yeah.
0: And Uh, I guess, I I guess uh, Brendan Canning was in there too, for a minute, right? I just
1: spoke to Brendan for my show too. And I was, and I saw that on like listed. I'm like, how much, how involved were you in Len? And he's like, well, I joined Len for a little bit because they figured I was the only person that could play guitar at the time. (laughs) He's like, I was by far the best (laughs) musician in that band. I was like, Oh, okay. He's like, the band was just like, they just couldn't play <laughs> and so they were friends with Brendan so Brendan started playing guitar and bass and all this stuff
0: yeah, yeah. and they like they those records like kind of like it's kind of a shoegaze vibe and it's so funny because steal my sunshine is is so big and there's a bunch of stuff yeah. on that record that doesn't sound the same like it's all over the map that record whereas before that they were like kind of like you know one of the better shoegaze bands in Southern Ontario
1: yeah, I and you know what? Like I was asking Brendan, how big w- was Len? You know, before "Steal My Sunshine," he said they were tiny. Like no one knew about Len. And, yeah, and, and I was I was kind of shocked about that because I, you know, I guess living in Ajax and when Derek and Steve had met Mark, I just assumed like Len was kind of this big indie band. Uh, but that's I I don't think that was the case. Like I think they would play like to a, like seventy five people. You know, like
0: the. Yeah, I saw them open, and this would have been after because they had that record that came out in the Fun for case is that the second one that came in the fun for slipcase do you remember that no i don't i don't know <laughs> it came in like a a blue fun for or pink fun for like slipcase for the cd okay and uh so it must have been after that but i saw them open for ben lee at the rivoli and it was just mark and his sister they were incredible like this i always thought that band was underrated they also always had cool videos like they're another group like yourselves that made the most of that format whenever given the opportunity to make a video.
1: Yeah. Yeah. They, they did. I think, I think they were because they were so underground and Mark talking to Mark about this, he, he got offered record deals along the way, even on those two records. So he never wanted to do it. Never wanted to sign to even an indie label and just made his own label. Mm. And so he basically had the freedom to do whatever he wanted and you know i don't know where he got the money that's the other thing you know yeah. you know some, somehow he had money to do <laughs> videos and record albums but he had he had his own recording set up in his house i remember going down to toronto and staying at his house and he had a whole like four track set up and he had a room with all these microphones and at the time i didn't know what anything meant it's like oh you record it and you record all the records in the house and so he just made it work with what he had and never wanted to sign to any label
0: he also, like, they were another group that did a lot of weird combo, like, uh, sort of collaborations or guest appearances, like Nikki Six was on a record, Biz oh. was on a record, yeah. Um, you know, Mocha Only, I guess, was part of the crew a little bit for a while yeah. as well, yeah. so it felt like they were, yeah, like, another group that I think is really interesting to kind of look at, especially, you know, finding out about the connection with you guys, too.
1: Yeah, it is, it is, it's interesting because, like, it was, Mark always said, like, he was really into punk rock.
0: Mm-hmm and he was That's really into
1: rock. Um and then all of a sudden they have steal my sunshine and also all this like you said like bismarcky and all this hip hop. So I think they were like one of those groups that was like very eclectic. Like he always said i always like a, like called them a rock group. He's like, oh, "I don't even know if we were a rock group. We were kind of like we had rock, but we had this and that and this and that." It's a strange band because they they were kind of like, you know, it's kind of like Sugar Ray in a way. You know, Sugar mm-hmm. Ray starts out as you know those first couple of records like they have heavy riffs and heavy mean songs machine and, then, and all those songs yeah. yeah and then all of a sudden fly comes out and then it's like oh now we're now they're and everyone thinks they're this band but they're not that band they're they're a heavy band yeah you know, they're playing like Limp Biscuit and stuff like that you know
0: well I guess like Chumbawamba too right like tub thumping becomes such a massive hit it's like no they're like this crazy anarcho band that's been doing this for like yeah years and years at this
1: point and you know, what's interesting about that is, uh, for us, um, the second single off all killers in too deep. And there was actually talk of not doing that because fat lip was, we actually on fat lip. We are like, we, our label was like, we have like the quote unquote punk kids like this. We released in too deep. It's kind of more poppy. It's more of a pop song that could actually cross over. They, did, they didn't want to cross it over to pop radio, which I'm so thankful they didn't, um, and so there was this big discussion, and I'm I'm thinking nowadays I'm like, what if we never released Into Deep? Like that's crazy. There was actually yeah. discussion to be like, we should go with motivation next or rhythms or something like that, something more edgy than Into Deep. But if I listen to Into Deep now; it's way heavier than a lot of pop punk songs that are out, you know, that are coming oh, out. Oh yeah, synthesizers yeah. and all that kind of stuff. I'm glad we released Into Deep second. I'm glad they didn't cross it
0: over. It's interesting because I think it still would have happened because that I'm sure that would have been the third single at that point you know but i but you're right like it because that was to have that sort of like massive follow-up to a first single it prevents it from becoming a steal my sunshine or from a tub thumping where yeah you know people don't really know what to make of the band but you know i guess it wasn't really a break with the sound either right like it still sounded like you guys it was just a much more popular and also pain for pleasure too being so heavy (laughs) you kind of have that you kind of show all the different sides right up front. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I remember showing the video we're on warp tour. I remember showing the video of in too deep to Fletcher from Pennywise. And he got the, I I could just like, I could just see it in his face. Like I'm just kind of looking at him and he's kind of watching us dive off diving boards and all that stuff. And and it finishes and he's just like, well, there's your hundred million records. And I was like, Is that a good thing? Or are you gonna are you gonna kill us now? Or what's gonna happen here? Are you gonna are you gonna cut off my fucking finger or what's gonna happen?
0: He (laughs) is he he is one of the scariest human beings in the world. So yeah, when he says something, you're like, I hope this breaks the way where you don't wind up punching me out.
1: Yeah, it's like but he said he said it's so serious. And I was like, and we're all kind of like, it's kind of silent. He just says that and then it's silent. Like, okay, <laughs> all
0: right. But you got to figure by that point, that guy knew, right? Like he had had enough bands kind of around him. Like Not that Pennywise didn't, you know, sell millions of records on their own. But like, I mean, like, you know, the Green Day thing, like you said, the Offspring thing. Yeah. It's, and Going back to the Offspring thing, I, I know what you're saying about the Offspring being the one that grabbed you more than Green Day. Because yeah. I think I felt the same way. and And I liked Green Day more at first, but then I really got into Smash. And I think it was... Because Smash had that aggression, you know, and as a young yeah. person, I needed that, you know, I needed something that to hold on to in the same way that I think, you know, by having that first video be so kind of aggro and, and then the, obviously the metal song to kind of cap it off at the end, like it kind of, it allows kids to kind of get that aggro before you hit them with the melodic, you know, second single.
1: Yeah, I think you know Green Day. We're talking about boredom and uh, you know jerking off and stuff like that. And all like like I said, I love Dookie, but you know Smash had like songs like Genocide, yeah, and stuff like that. You know where you're like things things you're just starting to learn about in high school and history class, you know stuff like that. And they're talking about like real stuff. You're like, whoa, that's crazy. I've never heard about someone talk about genocide in a in a song and yeah. have and have a double time drum beat behind it because I I just I just didn't know about that stuff.
0: Well, they also like that. Oh, I guess that's the thing about punk back then is it was, you know, very much like the place you'd hear about this sort of thing, like way pre Internet, like unless you're going to the library or unless you're subscribed to the right media outlets as a young person, especially a young person who doesn't have parents that are necessarily going another way to expose you to this stuff. Like, where were you going to hear about, you know, genocide in in a sort of a real contextual current context you know you'd learn about in history class but not like oh this is still happening or like Propagandi and Noam Chomsky quotes and like this was like a real sort of eye-opening kind of experience to have as a young person
1: yeah I mean Propagandi takes it to a whole new level I mean one of the smartest punk bands ever in my opinion I think you know Propagandi, the best Canadian punk band of all time that's I you know people would say you know maybe DOA or SNFU but my favorite and I think the best is Propagandi. like I think musically like they're untouchable and and lyrically, who's talking about stuff that Propagani's talking about? Yeah. Uh, but I think with the Offspring, you know, you had Dexter, who you know is uh, what is he a microbiologist, scientist, some, of some yeah, sort, some you sort know. of
0: scientist thing. I know he owns a hot sauce company now, so I guess he's also <laughs> well, a hot yeah. sauce magnet. <laughs> yeah,
1: it's a great hot sauce,
0: actually. <laughs> is it? I've never tried <laughs> yeah. it. I've tried the sick of it all one
1: oh really okay yeah yeah Yeah. no it's great uh you should try it's good uh but yeah i mean he's just obviously such a smart smart guy and so he's well read and went to university and then has smash Mm -hmm. it's Mm kind of crazy
0: yeah and they were you know a a band that i think i i felt like they were the band like green day when you talk to people like people always thought green day was going to do something Maybe not where they went but they were like young good-looking guys writing super melodic songs I feel like with offspring they were like a real outside chance that they were going to be the band that blew up you know yeah. so I imagine they had their whole lives planned out very differently prior to just well smash I guess
1: oh yeah I I uh, like uh, I'm friends with noodles and he would say stuff like uh even with even after those first two out singles came out he still was a janitor at the high school. Yeah. Like he he would go back after tours when their their singles are number one on the radio and he's like washing the floors at the at the high school. Like, yeah. Oh man, that's so cool. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and people were saying like, noodles, you could probably quit now. He's like, really? I don't know yet. I don't know yet. I don't know how things are going to go. You've sold 5 million <laughs> albums. You know, it's okay. Because <laughs> I think really that fun. did
0: sell more than Dookie, right?
1: Smash in the end? Yeah, I think it was like the highest selling indie album of all time
0: that's wild that's a you know and he also i remember meeting him way later and he was still super grounded noodles feels like a guy that kind of kept his head throughout the whole thing
1: he still is yeah he's like he's like well i always call him like the man of the people yeah He, he talks to everyone there's no ego he has time for everyone you know it's he's a great dude i love noodles like i've always loved noodles
0: i guess going back to when um when, when everything started going like were you guys how'd you how many warp tours had you done by the time so
1: we'd done 99 we did uh Toronto Montreal and then 2000 we did about two weeks on half hour power through the east coast and then 2001 when all killer came out we did um the whole thing but the thing about that one was uh obviously we were booked prior to fat lip coming out on the 2001 warp tour and so they put us on the side stage naturally and so yeah. fat lip uh was blowing up when we actually arrived on the Warp Tour and you know there's this other band called Alien Ant Farm and do you remember them?
0: I do. <laughs> I remember they were a band that had a lot of beefs on the Warp Tour. If I remember <laughs>
1: yeah. correctly. Okay, so yeah. Yeah, so they were starting to like call cuz they had their uh cover out of Michael Jackson.
0: Yeah, uh, Smooth, Smooth Criminal. Criminal. Yeah. Smooth <laughs> Criminal. yeah.
1: And so they were like they were calling out bands like H2O and saying like why why are they on the you know why are they on the main stage? Where we have like this number one hit and we're on the side stage, and they were calling out all these bands, and I don't think they knew who they were. And there was big tension on the Warp tour, and we just sat there, kept their mouths shut, played the side stage, had you know good shows, people were showing up, and so we kind of because of them, we actually looked like like the cool the cool guys that were just like keeping our mouths shut because we were we were also breaking at the same time. Yeah. Good Charlotte, good Charlotte too, kept their mouths shut, you know, just play, and and Alien and Farm are just like just
0: chirping everyone
1: as you remember i'm like h2o is gonna fu- rusty is gonna fucking kill these guys
0: <laughs> <laughs> i think that's the thing is when you came out of punk rock you knew you know that you had to be respectful it, yeah. it, it's it's a it's a genre that you know it doesn't matter how many records you sold because like some of the greatest bands of all time sold nothing and we all look up to these bands you know like yeah like how many records did five-knuckle chuckle cell and here we are talking <laughs> about them years later like it doesn't matter how many records you sell it's like yeah. it's more it's, it's, so i think yeah you could tell and that was the beginning of where the warp tour started changing and you, i think you started having more bands kind of coming in you know and i, I never played it so you know this is oh, S- really observing no they offered us one year and they're like you know we want you to do the warp tour we'll give you a thousand dollars a show and we're like what would it take and we're like we want ten thousand dollars per show and they just never wrote back.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was it was constantly like that.
0: You know, yeah, always. yeah, I felt like for for us especially, like we're miserable when we're getting you know when everything's easy. So I could only imagine on the warp Tour where, yeah, once again from what I hear, it gets a little. Uh, some days are more fun than others.
1: I mean, I mean that year, two thousand one, we ended the tour with eighteen in a row, um, which at the time I was like, "Fuck, this is brutal." But then I look at a band like Agnostic Front; and they'll go to like. They'll go to like Europe and still, and they're like, what, almost in their 60s or if yeah. not in their 60s, and they'll do 30 days in a row. Yeah. Like, what the hell were we bitching about? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But everyone was bitching about it. But I guess because it's like a three-month or two-and-a-half-month tour, and you end it with like 18 in a row, and everyone on the tour is just like, are you fucking kidding me? We ended in Detroit, I remember, and it was like just a hot and sweaty day, and sweatshirt's got a bb gun he's 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 like <laughs> shooting everyone with their, his bb gun is like oh my god man i just want to go home
0: <laughs> yeah that's the it feels like it's it's like uh it'll be like being at a summer camp that you could never leave and just yeah and i don't know i guess like when you're in europe i've never done 30 days in a row i think the most i've ever done in a row is like 24 shows in a yeah. row which is a lot it's a lot, but on, on you because you're
1: because you're streaming and singing, and yeah,
0: yeah, there. my voice was gone, yeah, like <laughs> just like I'm just like in the coming out, just ah, breathing <laughs> on the microphone nights by the end of it, <laughs> but but you know, and I'm also not agnostic fronts, you know, like at their point, this point in my career type thing when I did this was like a long ass time ago, but I think when you're doing your own shows, it's different because I don't know, like I feel the Warp Tour, there's a lot of like psychology involved and you know as much as like a prison you know it's also like uh a a, you know a bit of a forced confinement situation as well
1: it is and 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 also like you're you're it's funny because it's like supposed to be a punk tour and it is and uh you're but you're forced to kind of behave yeah because like you know kevin lyman back in those days would kind of like patrol the grounds after the show was over like kind of walk around i remember one year we were. Cause I, I like fat lip was out and pain for pleasure was out, so we had the wigs and we were kind of walking around the parking lot in our wigs after the whole thing. And everyone's you know people are cleaning up and loading their gear, and we're we have we have like vodka and we have our wigs on and we're walking around, 21 years old, and we run into Kevin Lyman we're like oh Kevin yeah thanks for having us on the tour and he's like how are you guys doing and we're like oh cool and he's like okay well. You know, we got a show again tomorrow. He's like, ah, oh, we'll be fine. We was kind of walk around, getting drunk. Next day, he had us on 11 a.m. <laughs> 11 a.m. I was like, you motherfucker. <laughs> so it's like, you know, it's stuff like that was happening where it's like, oh, yeah, you think you could drink all night and be funny? 11 a.m. Tomorrow. Yeah. And we yeah. did it. I remember getting the knock. You're on. You're on in half an hour. We're like, half an hour. What time is it? You know? roll out of bed and oh man so it's a lot of that happening
0: well it's funny they would do that too because like you know like you're saying you've got songs on the radio so at this point a lot of kids are coming hoping to see you guys and they're putting you on at 11 a.m you're still in line at 11 a.m a lot of times trying to get in that warp tour as we both know from previous years so he
1: he was he was a lesson i think he was obviously like he's trying to teach us a lesson
0: yeah yeah. But,
1: you know, yeah, I, I agree. But, you know, people missed that. People did not see us that day.
0: <laughs> no, no, there's probably some disappointed people in line at that point. Yeah. Uh, it's it's also, though, the year as I was I was rambling trying to get to before that you started seeing sort of like bands that didn't necessarily come out of punk that didn't necessarily have the same sort of understanding of, you know, like no ego or low ego existence. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's because, you know, you would have bands like you'd have. Black eyed peas on there. You'd have Eminem, Eminem, have, um, yeah. Uh, what's her name? Um, not Pink, but um,
0: oh, Katy Perry,
1: Katy Perry, yeah. stuff like that. Like they were coming on, but you know, but you had the bands like Rancid and the Boss Tones that had been doing this and Lagwagon and No Effects that had been doing the warp Tour for years and like basically started the warp Tour. So it was always kind of like they were running things. Bands mm-hmm. like that were running things, and everyone else was kind of just there to. Go along for the ride, and they always they had this tight knit group of bands that kind of ran the Warp tour, and they kind of set the standard for how things were. You know, even even if even if someone like Henry Rollins came on, it was it was still rancid and Pennywise and No Effects' tour.
0: Yeah, you know, well those bands were so big, like they were. Yeah, it's it's interesting to kind of put that in perspective today, like how big No Effects got as like an independent group. Uh, yeah. well I guess they were on. They were on Epitaph, but he still kind of ran his own label. But like they were always on Billboard, those bands.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And even even in those early warp tour days, they were still the biggest band of the tour. Yeah. Like, you know, they're massive now. Uh, but they're still like when No Effects played on Warp Tour, it was the biggest draw of the day. And same as same as Pennywise, same as you know, bad religion and the whole thing.
0: I wonder when that, because at some point it does shift, right? Like they're not like, not that these bands aren't still massive, but there becomes like the kids that are going to the Warped Tour are of a younger generation and the bands that they're excited to see aren't necessarily the bands that the kids in the previous generation were excited to see on the Warped Tour. Like I remember watching that Warped Tour documentary TV show that I love talking about. I think it was like the Warped Tour 2002. MTV did a whole documentary about it. And when no effects was like beefing with all like the screamo bands and <laughs> it was, <laughs> um, But yeah, like there's, and then like Alex on fire. I remember seeing them and they had the biggest draw of the day when they played Toronto one time. And it was like, and then I guess it changes and the warped tour becomes whatever it became in sort of the last few years of its incarnation, you know?
1: Yeah. I mean the last, uh, the last year we did it was, I think like the second last year it was ever existed. Um, There was a, there was a, there was two stages just for screamo, like kind of like that. The both stages were basically just like, it was no, not even screen, like metalcore. You know, it was like basically heavy metal bands, just two stages just for that. So it did, it did turn into other things over the years. I mean, there's also like chaos was on it one year, you know, stuff like that. Like, and there was, and then I remember as the years went on, you'd see like kind of a stage that was just for like pop and hip hop. So it did kind of evolve over time.
0: Well, I guess because um, young people are evolving, their tastes are evolving, you know, and it's sort of trying to reflect whatever the kids are at. The,
1: the times, yeah. Yeah, it's, I think, I don't know whether it was smart or not from Kevin to do that, but uh, obviously he was seeing something in kids that were like, you know, how how many years can you have no effects and and, and rancid on every other year, every other year, every other year. You know, you know it's, stuff was happening in music through like 2010, 2012, where punk rock and and even like hard rock was getting kind of a backseat on the radio even you know like where mm-hmm. it was a like rock radio is becoming almost pop radio yeah so i think he had to like kind of change in that direction but still the main stage bands were still the punk rock bands which was a thing yeah
0: i think it also kind of reflects the fact that like you know what happened with youth culture in general like it was such like that 99 warp tour where you have the black ips you got M. you've got Seven Seconds, you got Blink-182, you've got like, you really did kind of have Ice-T, I think, played that year too, right? <laughs> yeah, you've yeah, got like, you know, you got like all of kind of youth culture, you know, kind of hit on, or a lot of youth culture kind of hit on. I guess you don't have like rave stuff that would have been happening. Yeah. But like, now youth culture is so big, and like yeah. to be like a punk, or to be even an emo, or to be into screamo, like it could be any number of things that you're into now, it feels like it's just, it would be too hard to kind of put together a tour that caters to youth culture in the same way that it was in 99.
1: Yeah, and plus, and and even like, uh, you know, I remember starting in like even wardrobe, you know, like that, that was a big thing on the Warp Tour. Like how you dressed and like every, yeah, I remember seeing like fans show up and everyone was kind of just always dressed the same. Or you'd see someone with makeup and you're like, oh, AFI fan, yeah. you know, like, it was just like, it was, it was so I don't know, and then and then yeah, as ten years went on after two thousand one, like two thousand ten, it was like you saw people starting to dress totally different from everyone else, like their baggy pants and wow, pastel colors and you know stuff that you would never see on the Warp Tour. Mm-hmm. So like you know Warp, you know that whole the whole scene of the Warp Tour, even the dress codes, <laughs> I used to call like a dress code on the Warp Tour changed a lot too. You know, it's like now like if you go to a Warp Tour, if Warp Tour existed now, you would see all walks of life there i think
0: yeah it's funny because maybe it's come back around and maybe you could do a warp tour now because like you look at a turnstile tour and they're out with jpeg mafia and they're out with snail mail and they're out with ceremony like it feels like maybe because of streaming culture kids tastes are widespread enough that you could do something like a warp tour now and it not be culture clashes
1: no totally and well Yeah, probably not. But you you also see like what that festival the festival that we're doing this this uh, October we when we were young festival. Yeah. Like that is basically every Warp Tour band. (sighs) On one day, ever on one day, yeah. <laughs> ever, on one day. And, and like, but you got Green Day and and uh, Blink headlining it too. We're just like, holy fuck! But you, you know, you got you got you're pulling people from the dead, like Phoenix TX and you yeah. know Lit and all these bands. That are just like you're like, well, you know, all these bands that you know you haven't heard of in a long, long time. And uh, I don't, well, I'm excited to see what it's gonna be like.
0: Well, actually, you and me have kind of a a, a connection to Lit because Lit never went away. Our tour yeah. manager. uh in england adam Bance, who was the guy that introduced to our mutual tour manager tom uh he was lit's tour manager and would always talk to us about lit so i was kept very abreast of lit's career moves the whole yeah. way through i feel like <laughs> yeah actually
1: um the singer oh, i forget his name aj okay uh, he just came to our show in nashville like six months ago
0: okay so very uh, much yeah. lit lit is very much a part of our lives oh yeah 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 <laughs>
1: <laughs> actually i i i own that record When it came out, I did not, but I, but I, I, they they
0: definitely had songs. They had songs that were catchy. Like that's, that was the thing, is there were so many songs that were just catchy on the radio now that I'm like, I would love to go. If that festival was in Toronto, I would definitely go because I'm like, oh my gosh. Last year, not so much. You guys play, you guys didn't play the last year's lineup, right?
1: No, what what was it? It was like Paramore and My Chemical Romance.
0: Yeah, it was a lot more. It felt like more kind of uh, later 2000s. Kind okay. of vibe this one has more hitting in my kind of range you know as yeah, you say green is, day and blink 182
1: you got i mean you got green day blink One Eighty Two, and offspring like that's basically the big the three, three of, the big three of the 90s
0: you need rancid i guess rancid was i guess blink kind of you know went eventually became kind of like the other big three but i always thought of the big three as being i guess bad religion could also have been the third yeah yeah there was a, a, lot, so. a, high, a lot of contention until Blink-182 came around for who would be the <laughs> third band in the big three. <laughs> yeah. No, I
1: mean, I I definitely listened to Bad Religion and Rancid more. But, you know, I had Enema of the State.
0: Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, and I, Cheshire Cat was a, a very popular record in, in my house. Like, they felt like a snow jam band to me because they had played here on Snow Jam. And so yeah. I always associated them with the Snow Jam compilation. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's what a lot of people didn't know about Blink 2 is like they had records before that record. Like they've been around. Oh, yeah. I think their first record was like yeah. 95.
0: Yeah, it's it's interesting. Um, Sadly, this friend of mine, O, just passed away. And he produced Cheshire Cat like way back when. And like, um, anyway, I was like looking at the first Blink One Eight Two stuff that they did. And their first demo, I think it's 92, 91. And they cover Dinosaur Jr. and no effects on it. <laughs>
1: dinosaur jr <laughs>
0: yeah which i thought was it's awesome
1: so, so odd but awesome yeah for sure well, it's,
0: it's interesting because they don't they never sounded to me like they would have been a fat band you know like they they did have that other influence and i guess that would have been the dinosaur jr like they had less of the metal influence than a lot of the fat bands did
1: they sounded kind of like a kung fu records band
0: yeah you're right that yeah, would be like more the, befitting of it yeah
1: yeah you know like i i think i always thought of blink early blink is like kind of try, like kind of being like vandals no effects that was cross mm-hmm. between because they had the comedy like vandals and like you know the double time beats and everything, but then they also had some no effects too,
0: but then I thought the guitars would never do the kind of metal licking that that no effects would go into. and even even sure. Warren Fitzgerald would kind of do it some, or he do like his other weird thing on his guitar stuff <laughs> yeah. but but uh, I think with them it was like, oh, yeah, it does kind of go into weird dinosaur junior parts on a lot of those songs, you know, yeah, now like I, now that you
1: say it, yeah, I can kind of hear that actually
0: you know very very interesting what was it When you guys what was your first sort of like MTV experience did you guys go to like the movie Awards the music Awards
1: yeah you know the first big thing we did was the MTV 20th anniversary and this was in 2001. um they asked us to open the show we only had fat lip out but it was I guess they had it in kind of high rotation so they want us to open the show as like the new band of the show and MTV had been around for 20 years and we're like, well, we, we can't just go up and play the fucking one song. Like we got to do something. So we asked Tommy Lee to to come out with us and he, some, I don't know why he agreed to come out and we're like, we'll do shout out the devil. He's like, okay, cool. And we're like, what about some beastie boys? He's Like, okay, cool. We're like, okay, should we get someone else? And so we're like, what about Rob Helford? And we're like, there's no way Rob Helford is going to say yes to the new some 41, you know, like a teenage band that's coming out. And uh, he said yes, too. I think it's because Tommy was doing it already. So that was our first big MTV thing was like we opened the show. We did a little bit of Fat Lip. We went into uh, No Sleep Till Brooklyn with Tommy. Got wheeled there on the drums. And then we went to (laughs) Shout the Devil, a little bit of Shout the Devil. And then and then Halford came out and it was fucking dynamite. You have to watch this. if You haven't seen it like like full leather studs, like full Rob Halford. It came out. We did. You got another thing coming. So good.
0: Did, that was wild. Did you talk to him about pain for pleasure? Did, uh, he had knew he about it. And he, had he heard it. it.
1: Yeah, he knew about it. And and you know, we were we were even like talking to him, like we we, we you know, what about like the Judas Priest metal moves? Like, so we all lean up against them with our <laughs> yeah. guitars. He's like, yeah, we could do that if you want.
0: <laughs> That's awesome. That's uh, cool. and,
1: and you know, after that show, like things even changed even more for us. It's almost like the Sum Forty One name kind of like went from like that to like there, like just mm-hmm. from that one show because. Mm-hmm every news outlet and media outlet was kind of like talking about this, like thing of Tommy Lee and Rob Halford. And so that did a a big thing for us.
0: I always wonder when you see a band kind of get these opportunities, like they play in a light show or they do something, it's like, why not make the most of it? Like if the goal is to try and get your music out to as many people as possible and you're given the opportunity to be on a platform, you know, why not just go out and just do something crazy? Like make people remember you, like have, you know, (laughs) try something
1: you at your MTV performance <laughs>
0: yeah yeah like well like yeah. you know we're getting and that's like looking at fear from Saturday Night Live you know in the yeah. dressing room right like just being like you go out there and you do something you know you're, you're yeah. never you might never get this chance again and yeah. you know uh,
1: you know where that actually that that did a lot for us but you know another thing that and and you're we talking about do, uh, making the most of it one guy that we got to play with in 2003 we did a saw with Iggy Pop yes i i would see like we because after we did that song with him there was all these awards little award ceremonies like he'd be getting this award to be inducted into this and uh the mtv latin awards wanted him to play and so we he wanted us to back him up so we got to play these little things with the casby awards in toronto and every time we played with that guy he like there was there was no just like standing there singing it was like he was on eleven for every performance, Iggy, and he, at the time he was probably mid late fifties, mm. so he was not a young guy. I mean, he's older now, obviously. He's seventies and or something, late sixties seventies now. But he was back then, uh, late like, and he has like one leg shorter than the other, so he's yeah. he kind of you know he has to wear special shoes. And he come on the stage on the Casby's First note we hit, he jumped into the crowd. <laughs> I was like, we're like holy shit, there goes there goes Iggy. <laughs> so that that was a learning experience cuz I was like, man, this guy does not take a night off ever. Like it's like it is go time for Iggy.
0: Yeah, he is the goat of of all performers. Like I we played three shows with him and all three times it was like like just to hand in the res- like hand in the letter of resignation because uh. you'll never be on that level ever.
1: Oh, I just it's almost like he. There's nothing scripted. He, he's scripted at all. He's just mm-hmm. he goes out and just does something almost new every night.
0: Yeah, it feels like it just feels. And that what that's what it must be. Like, well, you guys gig with him. I'm, I'm sure you know, like. He doesn't eat the whole day, right? Like the whole <laughs> yeah. day is built towards that performance. Yeah. And so when he goes out there, everything's left on the stage. Like it just it's inspiring. Yeah, we played with him. I guess it would have been maybe a couple years after that. It was the day after they had all their gear ripped off in Montreal.
1: Oh, it's like Stooges reunion.
0: Stooges reunion yeah. with Mike on Watt and and Ron Ashton was still alive and and Scott obviously was still alive, okay. and we kind of were like, "What's it going to be like?" Like we got asked to play last minute, and we're like, hey, "You know, how, how good could they be?" And just them coming out and just destroying like one of the greatest shows. Still to this day, one of the greatest performances I've ever seen.
1: Did you guys? Did you guys open the Bassie Hall show? Yeah. Yeah okay, I yeah. think I
0: I was there. We met backstage. I,
1: that's that's yeah that's right. I remember yeah. that now. And I think I caught like the last couple of songs of years. Yeah, I mean you guys had a good set there too.
0: It was but, f- it was great, but like you know <laughs> we got wiped. Like we got taken to school literally right afterward.
1: Yeah, but I think at that point, like you know Iggy, you know the 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 history of Iggy and everything is kind of like he has these like moments mm-hmm. where you know. But I think when he did a song with us no one i don't want to say no one cared about him but iggy was not really a thing in the early 2000s like he was kind of in this ground of like what should i do where should i go what should i sound like and who Who? how can i be relevant and,
0: and this is his comeback point, record that, that yeah. you guys are on right
1: yeah it's like um it's called skull ring um but i think by the time you guys played with um iggy was like this thing again where yeah. it's like iggy can walk out on stage now and the place will just erupt he doesn't he doesn't even he just needs to walk out there
0: it's still it's interesting because like you're saying like when you're wrecked that record skull ring that you guys were on that's the peaches is on that too right he's got the song with peaches it felt like that was his comeback record and he's had he's a comeback kid you know he's come back many times from the very beginning and just constantly you know built on it but yeah that record felt like it was like a reintroduction to a new generation of people like here's the god of this thing and you know it, it's awesome that record at the time i you know was like a snob about the stooges and like but going back and listen to it it's fucking awesome your song with them is ripping
1: oh yeah well thanks yeah i think what was smart about that record is he had bands like us and green day did a song with them uh and peaches but he also reformed the stooges so like he's yeah. touching on like his old audience but he's trying to grab a new audience too so it's yeah. like uh it was a cool record that way
0: it was cool. And like when Dave was on he told the story about how Iggy ate a whole chocolate cake during re- your recording session with him. Just yeah. Yeah, also like, one.
1: He, like after the casby's he came over to Derek's house like we had like a little after party. <laughs> and uh and so he would say like, you know, cuz we, we we know his history of booze and drugs and sleeping on the street whatever. Um but he he was like, you know, he had a couple of glasses of red wine at Derek's and then event and then all of a sudden I just saw him kind of like look at his wife and he's like, I got to go. <laughs> and yeah. So he's like, oh, he's had too many glasses of red. I think he had like two glasses, but I don't think he d- drank. And that's what he said. He's like, I might have a glass of red wine or two, but that's it. It's kind of clean living for him.
0: Yeah. And that's why he's still here. You know, like I, I did an interview with um, Craig Ferguson, you know, the late night host and he yeah. was on Drew Carey's show. And uh, he was saying that he went on tour with Nico from the Velvet Underground. And oh, one nice. night she turned to him and was like, you remind me of Iggy. You'll be dead soon. <laughs> and he's like, well, Iggy's still here. Iggy's going to outlive us all. And it's you true. Know, it's,
1: it's crazy that Iggy, because Bowie and Lou Reed, both got, I mean, different circumstances, yeah. but you wouldn't think um, Iggy, you know, it's still walking around and still playing. And,
0: you know, well, just... yeah. Well, that's the thing. Lou, Lou Reed hit some pretty lows in his, his life, you know, and came yeah. back from it. But, I don't know if anyone hit as many lows as Iggy or as hard as some of these lows were as Iggy. Like the stories yeah. about him playing the whiskey on that last run the Stooges had. And yeah, just he's a guy who I, I guess is a testament. Whatever he's doing, we should all follow because
1: the best The one once in a while, if I'm bored, I'll just like go on YouTube and just Google Iggy interviews like old Iggy interviews. Oh, my God. Some of them are just absolutely fucking dynamite. Like, yeah. you know, the one where he's like, he's talking on some talk show and he just starts, his tooth just starts bleeding. <laughs> it's just like randomly. And he's like, he's missing a tooth. And, oh, it's just so cool, man. Like And the thing was, like, he was never really like a big thing back then. Like, he's never sold like millions of albums. He never got to like Rolling Stones thing or even David Bowie. He never got to that level, but he yeah. just kind of stuck around. He just kind of stuck around and made records through his whole career. Did movies once in a while, you know?
0: Well, that's always there. Well, I think that's what like we're talking about with that punk thing and that respect (laughs) that you have for these artists because, like, our gods like Iggy and and the New York Dolls and even the Velvet Underground and you (laughs) know they never sold anything. Bad Brains never really sold anything, but these are like the greatest bands of all time. You know, Minor Threat, like for what they sold, you know, might not have been a lot, but everyone that bought these records cherish them in a way it meant that something it meant something yeah and yeah. like and that's uh yeah like i think that's like you're saying with iggy pop like that's someone who's got a career that like maybe not the downs i don't wouldn't want iggy's lows but certainly <laughs> to have that kind of longevity and have that relevance that you're putting out records in the 2000s that still have impact and it's not a nostalgia thing like oh my god that's that's a career i, I envy
1: well, you got to give it to him because it's like, even though he had the lows, and he just kept making music. Like he, even even if no one was buying it, he just because he loved it. The same as like David Johansson or something, you know, mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. New York Dolls. Um, you know, they, like those records were in the seventies. Like the, you know, but he just he just is doing his thing, and he keeps accumulating like a, a great catalog of music. And same as Iggy, like you know, whether it's like you know, some of Iggy's records weren't as good as others, of course. Like every every band. But he just kept making them, and he kept making them. I think because he loved it so much, you know. And so now he's got this huge catalog of music. And even if you take one song from every record, the show is going to be fucking insane.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I guess he's touring the new record too a little bit. Yeah, he is. Yeah. uh, Oh, I I gotta, I gotta go see that and stuff. I think,
1: I think Duff's on bass, and oh wow, um, I think Chad Smith is on drums. It's
0: like it's, it's like well, I guess with him and Duff, it's like the Survivor tour. You know, yeah. Like, Duff's another guy, right? Like, you know, talk about someone who bounced back in a way and kind of has had this incredible second act.
1: Yeah. Have you ever heard his band, um, his band, Four Guns and Roses, called, uh, what
0: are they called? The... the Farts. The Farts. Love them. Fastbacks, yeah. Silly Killers. Uh, <laughs> the Have you heard of the Fastbacks? I've heard, yeah, I've heard,
1: I've only heard like a song or two. I I have to dig back into it though, but I I think you'd love it.
0: it. I think because they're like, they're to me are like one of the first pop punk bands. Like one of the first like Buzzcocks obviously and stuff like that, but but like they're just like a band that's like fusing like super infectious melodies into like fast songs. And that's, is that Duff's in that? Duff's a drummer on the first seven inch and then, um, but yeah Duff was like yeah, uh, it's fascinating, like you know he's this guy who's like kind of like the king of the punk scene in a lot of ways and then at a certain point he's like I got to get out. I'm fascinated how Guns N' Roses came together cuz like it seems like they're all fated to meet.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's also the Guns N' Roses thing. Like they, they were they were punk. Yeah. Like, they they kind of got lumped into like this like metal thing or the the glam metal, you, you know, you know Axel would wear I guess makeup and it kind of had the teased hair and stuff, but they were the music was punk rock. Like it was, I always thought.
0: You know? Yeah, yeah. Like it feels like there's certain bands that, you know, like I'd say also like Oasis and the Britpop thing, like where they feel like out of step with the yeah. scene they're in, and they're just at round at a time where it's like, i oh, we got to lump them in with this.
1: Yeah, yeah. They got lumped in with Blur and uh, Verve and all that. You know,
0: but it yeah, was they were I mean, yeah. they,
1: had, they had they had an attitude. They had a punk att- I mean. Liam Gallagher is just as snotty as Johnny Rotten, you know? Like yeah. <laughs> especially back then.
0: Yeah, I interviewed him one time and it was uh he was like a dick, but like in the best way possible. Like like, oh, this is awesome. Like it's so not that, that's
1: the thing with Oasis, like so we uh we met them a couple times. Noel was the dick to us. Liam was actually nice to us, and we we're like, Oh god, Liam, come on, just tell us the fuck off. Like I just, I just I want but he was he was nice to us. Even I remember being at top of the pops, and we were sound checking, still waiting, and uh, and so you, see, I saw the shadow. We all saw the shadow way in the background. He's just like a, smoking a cigarette. We're like, because we knew he's playing too. And so uh, the story went is our label girl was kind of standing next to him, and there was another guy just standing next to him. And he's kind of smoking. He's kind of watching a sound check. We could just see a shadow. And my label, our label girl, told us that the guy leans over and goes, "Liam, who is up there?" He goes fucking some 41 man (laughs) (laughs) that's awesome we're like yeah liam likes us when i
0: when i interviewed him he recognized me from the enemy cover and i'm like you still read the enemies like every week so he was like yeah like he was very much up to date with i guess music and like still really engaged by it yeah i I imagine when i say he's a dick like he's what you want him to be you know and i imagine with noel when he's a dick it's like from a more earnest place of dickness
1: yeah 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 he, <laughs> Noel, uh, did, I, did i tell you what noel said about us
0: no okay
1: so this was after all killer no filler um and so you know I, we just came out with that and system of down just came out with their big album um and so i guess in an interview he he was asked like wh- what's it like you know what do you think about like the newer bands some 41 and system of down he said I'm just glad I'm around to see the two shittiest bands ever on the planet. <laughs> and we're like, and we're like, we're like, that's what we want from Oasis. So yeah. we ended up like when we came out with Does it Look Infected, we had like, you know, bands come out with their bios. We we quoted
0: that in our bio. That's awesome. <laughs> uh, do you guys went to was it on Chuck that you guys went to the Congo or is it on Yeah. What was that At like? Chuck. That experience.
1: Yeah, Chuck uh well, yeah. So Chuck came out after the Congo. So I mean, around between it does look infected. little bit like 2004. We we got involved with War Child Canada from yeah. Toronto, and uh, you know the Rain and Chantel had done some stuff, and um, we wanted to do something with them. And they, were, you know, we were like, well, should we just give you a song or what do you want to play a show, benefit show? He's we like, well, how about you like go to the country, and um, and do a documentary on it? And we we're like, well, what what do you propose? Like what country? And so they were like, what about the Congo? And we're like, we know nothing about the Congo. Like, there's no, at the time, there's no mainstream news on the Congo. But yeah. what we learned was Congo was so rich in minerals. And there was a big civil war that had happened there. And it was the largest war in African history. Three million people, over three million people have died in it. But like, we were like, that's fucking crazy. We never heard anything about that. It's not on CNN's not talking about this. And no news in Canada's talking about this. And they're fighting over, you know, there's a there was the Rwandan genocide. And everyone the, the mines over there are so wealthy and minerals like coltan, which is a big thing in our computers, cell phones it's and so the the West is really benefiting from these Wars that we learned. and so we ended up going over there to do a documentary and there was child soldiers so, soldiers fighting in this war like as young as eight just like being being drugged up, it's given a gun and just like sent out into the fields. Um, so we felt like we wanted to actually go and so we got there. And we were supposed to be there for about ten days, and we were interviewing, you know, child soldiers and uh, rape victims, and it was like heartbreaking, you know, all these stories that we were hearing. And um, and I get we were we were kind of like a week into it, and we we're sitting in like our little hotel like lobby area, which is like, kind of just like as you'd expect in the Congo—not very hotelish. It's just like a place to stay.
0: Well, yeah, because you're not in Kinshasa, you're like, like we're you're... in Bukavu. Okay. And,
1: yeah. um, and so it's kind of like this open air hotel, like you sit in a lobby and it's like outside, yeah, and we're we're kind of drinking some a couple beers and and uh, we heard like these like just crack, crack cracks. And I remember Dave saying, like,, oh, I think it's just construction. We're like, oh, okay, yeah, maybe, maybe it's construction. And then we heard more of it, more of it, more of it. And then we saw the locals dive on the ground. and so we're like, holy shit, why are they diving on the ground so we all kind of dive on the ground? And then there was a couple people from the UN there, and they were phoning into the UN compound. And apparently, there was like a there was like a conflict at the border where a general tried to cross the border into Rwanda, and was denied access into the country. So he came back with a bunch of his, you know, his militia group and started firing at the border. Wow. And so, and what we, and so the thing is about the Congo is it's so unstable that we learned that people are just looking for. Just give me something to start this war back up, yeah. and that was the thing. And it went off like the next morning. We woke up and there was bombs exploding around the hotel. We were all pushed into these two ho- hotel rooms down below. One was mine. One was another guy's. There was forty people in the whole hotel, and we got we were in these two hotel rooms while like things were shaking around us and the helicopters flying overhead. And there was there was a guy from the UN there named Chuck Pelche. from Victoria, BC. And so he had a walkie talkie so he could communicate with the UN and uh, he had a, he had a little padded vest on and a bat and a cigar. <laughs> so he, he would walk outside the bravest guy I'd ever seen he'd walk outside during all this gunfire and bombs exploding. And he just kind of patrol the grounds, kind of look around, see what was going on. And eventually the the fighting got so close to the hotel that he, he organized um, these ATV tanks to come pick up the whole whole, whole hotel, but it took hours, like. I felt like we were there for probably 14 hours while this is going on, just sitting in this hotel room as things are shaking around us, thinking, like, fuck, one mortar round is going to hit this hotel. We're all gone. Um, it was getting close. And so ATVs came, evacuated the whole hotel. And I remember telling, we told Chuck before, like, you know, when things would calm down, it seemed like it was getting better. And then it would start back up again. We'd all dive into the room. But we told Chuck, we're like, you know, if you get us out of here alive, the next records named after you. He's like, Oh, okay. He's smoking a cigar. <laughs> and uh, so we made it back to the whole, the UN compound. And so we named the album after Chuck and we slept at the UN compound that night on the grass. And just, we took a school bus to the airport the next day. Um, and we, you know, that's another fucking freaky thing too, because the fighting was still going on, but we're in the school bus. So we have to go like 45 minutes to a, to an airport. So they just said, put all your bags up into the window. Because if they're stray bullets, they'll hit your bags and not your face. And, <laughs> and they'll sh- or shatter the glass and it'll all cut you up. So that was like 45 minutes of, of being terrified as well. And then yeah. the other the other heartbreaking thing was like you, just like, you know, some of us would kind of peek out the window here and there because we were all kind of curious and there's just bodies everywhere. You know, just like, just tons of like bloody bodies all over the street. And um, we finally got out. There was, we had, a, we had like this little chartered plane that dropped us off and this guy i forget his name but so brave and he came right back in flew in during the war and picked us up and flew us out like it's basically like it's like straight out of rambo like just like running to the plane diving in and flying back out and then he flew us to um uganda where we stayed for a couple days but yeah, that was like, you know, you can watch the... I don't know if you've ever seen it, but it's on YouTube. It's called Rocked, Some 41 in the Congo. And It's so much music
0: documentary, right? That much music did, or aired at least at the time? They aired it, yeah. Yeah, I remember watching it back then. Yeah. And it's
1: It still gives me... Like, I watch it maybe every couple of years, and it still gives me, like, chills and weird feeling.
0: Yeah, because I I went to the Congo way after that just to shoot stuff. Oh, you stuff. did? Yeah, we shot, like, in... And I was just in Kinshasa. So my experience oh, okay. was obviously a lot more um a lot different you know like um and it's amazing because when when dave was on he told me like september 11th you guys were nearly on one of those planes
1: yeah 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 that was another thing yeah
0: (laughs) it's it's that's uh well it's amazing that like what kind of experiences you get put into in a band but like looking back on it now like huge historical moments and like you're saying through these documentaries like i'm learning about what's going on in the congo you know, I fashioned myself a fairly well-read, worldly person at that point. But, and I know now people are always saying, and it and it does feel like there's so much more terrible things happening in the world. And I think it's just because we lived in the sort of like ignorant bubble of all this shit that was going on in the world previously. Like there might be more going on, but it's not like there wasn't terrible shit going on. Like three million people dying in a civil war, yeah, back then. Yeah,
1: you know, it makes me, it makes, it made me really angry about that because it was it's, it's pure racism too. You know, it's. Why isn't, if there's a war going on, like obviously there's wars going on right now and it's really, it's big news. Why is 3 million people dying in Africa in this brutal war and we're not being told about it over here? Like it's not top of any news story. Like to me, that's just that's just pure racism because it's happening in Africa and it kind of made us all really angry about it too
0: it also shows you it's it how who benefits you know like the computers the cell phones you know mm-hmm. and i and we're talking on these things right now like that's yeah. a there's a sort of like horrible irony but like keeping people in the dark about what actually is the cost of these things and like how much it, it is is benefited from destabilizing a region and promoting yeah. war because yeah cheap phones
1: and then you have right now Ukraine war and, and and people are helping Ukraine with like, you know, weapons and tanks and whatever they need. No one was helping Congo back then. No one no one was sending and like no one was sending anything for anyone to I don't know. It just it was a thing, it was very eye-opening because it was it was something like, Man, I can't believe this many people died and none of us were and and no one from the international community was helping the conflict. Like no one was trying to get in there and, and try and stop it. But, you know, as you have wars that have happened since, you know, you've got like big, rich countries like Canada and the U.S. and Germany, and they're helping the Ukraine try and, you know, get out of it.
0: It's yeah, it's, it's interesting. Well, not interesting. It's, it's horrible. Like you said, it's, it's no other reason than racism. Why oh, yeah. it happens. And and these minerals, these, you know, going there and being in this incredibly extravagant hotel in Kinshasa, mm-hmm. because that was where they could get insurance for us to stay. And realizing that everyone that's there is either from an NGO or from a mining company that's benefiting from how horrible the situation is for people. And like for a country that's that rich in minerals, like there were not a lot of working traffic lights. There was no garbage pickup, Mm -hmm. not a lot of clean water. And this is in a capital city. So clearly none of this money is making it back in to the people's hands.
1: Yeah, essentially that that country really should be a rich country. Yeah, um, that I mean, the amount of diamonds they have, and just just like endless uh, mines full of these, all these stuff, all this stuff that we all get every day. Um, they should be a rich, rich country. I mean,
0: yeah. I don't know. what it's going to take, but well, and, you see, and people throw out their phones. You know, <laughs> like people see these minerals that are left in these phones that are just yeah. waste at this point, and it's like, wow, yeah. what the cost for this thing? And then we Some, can just someone's life. Yeah. Someone's life. And then we just buy a yeah. new one every two or three years because it's got a better camera yeah. or or it's, you know, the battery's better on it or some, some bullshit. And it's, yeah, like, I guess to actually unpack this thing requires us to look at the way we live our lives in a way that people yeah. don't want to, or, or, or certainly aren't prepared to.
1: Yeah. I mean, and there's, I mean, there's obviously lots of this stuff in life. I just did a interview with Moby who just came out with that uh, punk rock vegan movie. Um, And so that's another thing is like, I'm not I did this interview, but I'm not I'm not vegan. I don't eat a lot of stuff, but I'm not vegan. But I was I sat there while Moby explained to me why I should be vegan. Yeah. And so like that's another thing like animals. Like so there's lots of like ways, I think, you know, that after all these talks and being in the Congo or talking to Moby, it's like it makes you self reflect Mm -hmm. on like your own life, you know, and how you could live it or teach your kids how to live it, you know, um, in a way that's not hurting others.
0: Yeah, it's it's interesting now. Well, it's, it's raising kids. I I want them to get exposed to punk. I wish there was something out there that sonically they identified with, in the way that punk I identified with punk, yeah. that would give them exposure to different kind of ideas, different sorts of, you know, maybe it's social media. Maybe they don't need it from music anymore because now you can get it from TikTok. Like you can be exposed to. <laughs> Veganism or some sort of political issue that you would otherwise be completely ignorant to. So you don't need propaganda singing it to you in a really catchy song anymore. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's, I, I, yeah, I think the same way. Like, I wonder, like, when we kind of got into punk when we were teenagers or whenever we did, um, how we kind of like that was like our thing and we grasped onto it and it was our, it was our our identity and we dressed like it. Doesn't seem like nowadays, maybe, maybe I'm wrong because I'm getting old, but like, I wonder if my kid, like four and eight are going to get that thing out of something like, is there going to be a band or something that's going to change their life and they're going to start dressing like it. They're going to start acting like it. And I don't know, I don't see it as, as, as prominent as punk was for us, but maybe Mm -hmm. there will be something. I don't know.
0: Yeah. I think there's like, I was talking to a kid and they were telling me about uh, aesthetics and being like an aesthetic goth versus being into goth music. And then you can just be into the vibe of something now and have no other connection to what you have to like, where, like you're saying before it was an all-consuming identity it's like oh you're a metalhead you got to grow your hair you got (laughs) to wear these shirts you gotta not be into this (laughs) yeah i remember going to see i think it was like emperor or cradle of filth or something and and it was like at the reverb and the opening band was like this song goes out to anyone with a backwards baseball cap shorts on and a baggy t-shirt it's called (laughs) death to posers and that's exactly what i was wearing <laughs> oh god that's amazing now you can be, in be a like steady... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh fuck. fuck that's totally about me i can't pretend it's not about me at all everyone just everyone just turns and looks at you <laughs> like, oh. <laughs> oh, sir. Oh, that's funny. so but now i guess you could totally get away with it you could just be like no i'm just aesthetically black metal i'm just an dressing black metal or i'm i guess i would be aesthetically epifat in my clothing choice back then (laughs)
1: yeah yeah Yeah, i think i think the whole dress code thing is is kind of gone i I still see kids dressed up like you know the liberty spikes or Mm -hmm. you know but i don't think it's as prominent as it was when we were kids you know no if if someone walked around ajax with spikes of them like punk rock he likes punk rock you know you just you
0: you know now you could be in a ghost main you could be into you could be in a rancid you could be in the casualties you could be into chaos punk you could be in a Japanese stuff, like it's,
1: it doesn't. Hip-hop. Yeah, you mean hip hop and just yeah. spiking out your
0: hair. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like total aesthetic liberation.
1: Yeah, it's like also like face tattoos. You know, it's like it's like a hip hop thing, but it's also a punk thing. It's like yeah. also like a, you know, so it's like it's all broad now.
0: It's an emo thing. Emo thing. Yeah. Even like, it, and it used to be a hard person thing. It used to be like yeah. you saw the person with face tattoos. It's like there's no way that person is not incredibly hard, and this. Yeah. This could go real awkward real fast
1: i remember i remember on warp tour showing up and 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 lars Frederiksen just she newly had uh skunks across the board. yeah i was like whoa <laughs> like,
0: <laughs> <Jesus>. <laughs> like just
1: stay away from that guy for the tour you
0: know? <laughs> but, it must have been you know. so cool though to be that young and then all of a sudden be with these people as peers like where you're yeah you know on these tours with them and, and then later on bringing some of these bands on tour opening for you.
1: Yeah. Yeah, the big, biggest one that year 2001 was Rancid because like I said like that was a big album for me when I was teenagers. So it was it was it was big for me to make sure we were cool with Rancid. <laughs> you know like I wanted that <laughs> yeah. acceptance. I I definitely wanted that acceptance from Rancid. Um and 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 they liked us. We talked to Tim a lot on that tour and uh Matt Freeman was always kind of nice to us and But yeah, you know it's been you know Pennywise for whatever reason, and I don't know this, and I've talked to the Pennywise guys about this. But when we were young and we were um, you know coming up, and we were Fat Lip was on the radio and we had stuff on MTV for some reason, bands like the Vandals and Pennywise, they liked us. Fat Mike came on our 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 bus, walked right on, didn't knock, (laughs) and uh, you know introduced himself, and we were blown away because the band basically got started because of no effects.
0: He says um, you're the greatest band he never worked with. He's, he said that Sum Forty One's the only band he wished he worked with when he was on the podcast last time. Really? Oh, that's yeah. nice of him. He, he said oh. uh, that was the one he feels like at Sum 41 Records. That's like the one he wished he got to do.
1: Yeah. I mean,. He uh, declined us in the early days. So, <laughs> uh,
0: did you get? Did you get one of the rejection letters?
1: No, I, I okay. maybe I maybe I I didn't personally, but okay. maybe we did. <laughs> but uh, yeah, there. Was, I mean, Epitaph, Fat Records, it was all early stuff, you know. That they was like, nope. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, no, he did tell us like uh, way back, like 2002. Like if we ever are off island Def Jam, that he wants a, a crack at us, and I guess it just it's never happened. I don't think he's really involved in Fat Records as much anymore. I don't know.
0: Why, when everything does blow up and explode, there's this sort of uh assuming into pop culture that happens. I guess like that first MTV appearance but then from then on it like you know, like uh, like Paris Hilton, like celebrities like all this sort of shit was around you guys. Uh, was it yeah. hard to navigate? Because you always... uh we're always super down to earth. Like anytime I ran into you guys, I talked to you over the years and like from the hundred million video, just to like Mm -hmm. running into you play different places, Iggy pop backstage and stuff like just always chill and always, always, always grounded. But I imagine that would have been like a weird place to find yourself in where all of a sudden the whole world's coming at you and people that aren't necessarily from this kind of a low ego, no ego world
1: yeah it was a strange time uh I think there was also the the feeling of like wanting to be taken seriously and I think that's a big thing in our band's career because we we're so sl- kind of slapstick on our first couple records um and then like we wanted to become we wanted to be taken seriously and that's I think that was a big thing on like does it look infected and Chuck and around those times you know Derek starts Derek and Steve moved to LA yeah. um and I I don't think that they I mean maybe from an outside perspective maybe people uh Thought that you know Derek had an ego or something like that, but I think it was he's so introverted that he, he, people think that he's being a dick because he doesn't talk so much. I guess, and I've seen this so many times over 20 years or 30 years since I've known him um, that people are like, "What's up? What's up with him?" And then Steve's the opposite, where he's just so loudmouth and so he's always cracking jokes, and people are like, "Fucking Steve's such a dick." And he's like, no, no, he's, he basically just cannot be ever serious. Yeah. Like Steve, Steve just couldn't be serious. He just had to joke about everything. So that was, it's like two ends of the sword It was kind of like, you got the quiet guy that doesn't talk and people think he's a dick. And you got the loud mouth who's always cracking jokes and people think he's a dick. And Dave and I are kind of just like, you know, going through, you're <laughs> just kind of like being us and we're kind of quieter. Um, but I think, yeah, the Paris Hilton thing, going back to her, I, I, I liked her a lot, you know. I she would come around; she was nice. I remember walking down the street, and she she would give like a hundred dollar bill to a homeless guy or something like that. Like she was super cool to most of the people that I ever saw around, and um, she's very friendly with me. We partied quite a bit, you know. Obviously, those were like big party days, and she was really into partying. We were into partying, so it was just nonstop partying. And uh, but it, yeah, it was what got weird, and I think also what kind of got a rift between us and Greg Nori at the time was Greg hated that Derek was dating Paris okay um he didn't want that around our band and um because all of a sudden Derek's in like page six and he's you know in Us Weekly now and Greg hated that and Derek was Derek just I mean just let the (laughs) fucking guy do it okay just he's not like it's either that or he's going to sneak around and do it you know he's doing it anyway so it was strange times for sure because yeah that was the first instance like Derek was finally he was he was like in Us Weekly now I was like holy shit that's like actors are in that <laughs> you
0: know? yeah I guess that brings something I want to talk to you about mm-hmm. um you know the 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 fact that there's always sort of this control that people are trying to exert over you it seems mm-hmm. like in in like the band I mean like in terms of like we want you guys to party super hard You know we'll pick up the bill you know dave Mm -hmm. was saying that like trashing hotel rooms do do crazy shit we want you to be like motley crew vibes and and be this sort of thing but only on their terms like there's sort of this sort of uh controlling nature to it but there's also this as young people this encouragement to get fucked up like i remember Mm -hmm. telling telling you guys at the 100 million shoot and saying that oh yeah we finally got to a point where we're, we're just like no more all alcohol riders because at the beginning you, there's something like having an all booze rider yeah. but your kids that's completely understandable why you do yeah. that but as an adult and as a parent that's the last thing you'd want a bunch <laughs> of kids to have to
1: <laughs> yeah i remember showing up on like a I did a college tour in the US and we had only booze on a rider yeah. and it was it was a dry it was a dry campus so we walked in, there was like a bottle of club soda and fruit punch. <laughs> like every, you know, saliva and American hi fi had like platters of shit. And we're just like, <laughs> but yeah, I think it was a thing. Like that was, we were, we were, we did like, we were into trashing stuff a lot back then. We were into destroying buses and hotels and, and we were doing it a lot. And, but it also came a time where we we're like, well, we have to pay for all this. And so I think that was where the label kind of stepped in and liked that vibe. And they liked everything we were about, including that. And basically, it was kind of like, you know, keep doing it. And if you guys can get it on film, here's a camcorder, then we'll pay for it. And I think it was it was also it was, it was everything. It was Greg, too, you know, it was, we were encouraged to... We were encouraged to trash things. We were encouraged to drink a lot. We were encouraged to do drugs, hard drugs. All hard drugs, and yeah. I, yeah, it's like, it was, and we were 21, 22 years old. I mean, looking back at it now, yeah, it's fucking ridiculous how much encouragement we were getting. Um, would, would we have done it anyway? I don't know. To to that extent, maybe not. Um, if we hadn't had people like saying like, oh, this is, you know, this is, we want you guys to be the the pop punk Motley crew. That's kind of how they're trying to position us. Like well, I don't know. We like Motley Crue. We read the Dirt, but it's like, what's why would we just be us, you know? But it was. I think it was a different time, and I think I think looking back on it seems worse, maybe. But at the time, I think it was a blast for us. Like we had fun, and obviously, I wish we didn't do as much drugs. And essentially, it led to Derek becoming an alcoholic and almost died. And I think that's kind of like how where that headed.
0: Yeah, and you think about like. Lil Peep or or other friends that have passed away and it's just it's just almost luck at a certain point or just by chance when when you kind Mm -hmm. of like wind up being exposed to drugs at at such a young age that you don't wind up becoming becoming a problem in a weird way you know And I don't mean to be judgmental on people partying but I think like you're saying it's also was a different time like there wasn't fentanyl and it was uh it felt like because it was less prevalent it was somehow safer in a way yeah no i
1: i i think even without the fentanyl back then it was so dangerous i remember being at a party um mtv icon thing that we opened the show for and we were partying we went back to lars's room and but we were i mean we're doing other stuff and and i remember at the end of the night a friend of mine, I, she's passed away now, but she, you know, I was like, I was so high. Like I was like, I, it was like five in the morning or six in the morning. And she's like, Oh, just take this, take this little pill. It'll help you sleep. Cause I was just like, I, there's no way I was going to sleep. And I had to get up and fly. And she's like, take this little pill. And I was like, well, what is it? She goes, Oh, I'll just make you sleep. And I remember taking a Xanax Oh yeah. and getting back to the hotel. And I remember the hallways, I, I saw my hotel room and I was just like, it started hitting and I was just kind of like, fuck, I can't, I could hardly make it back to my room, fell asleep, face down on the bed in my clothes. I woke up 12 hours later, still in my clothes, still in the same position, thinking like, and I remember researching it and being like, what the fuck did I take? Um, people were dying from that. Yeah. People are dying from the mix of like, you know, hard drugs and Xanax. Um,
0: back to John that, Belushi dying from a speedball, right? Like Yeah. it's
1: like, And this is a friend that I trusted, you know, this is like someone that she was much older than me, like 10 years older than I was. I was 24, 25 at the time. And I really trusted that she was kind of like this parental figure saying, Oh no, take this. This will help you sleep. And I'm thinking, like, fuck man, I could have re- I could have actually died last night. Like she she should have never gave me that. And that's that's what was happening. And that was kind of the naiveness of our band too. We were just so we had a lot of older people around us, like Greg, um, friends of ours from Toronto that moved to LA and were kind of just like we felt that they were looking out for us all the time, but really they were just feeding us drugs.
0: Yeah, well, that, they, and that's the, like, I heard that you stop maturing when you become a full-time musician. That's where you are. So there's, like, and then these people that just never had to come back to reality and just stayed in this world. So you look at them like they're adults, but they're not adults yeah. in their behavior. And, God, like, fuck, with labels fucked up spin on and, and, and bands we've been on tour with and all sorts of situations you find yourself in. It's it's very much like the cliche of what you think the record industry is going to be like. It's oh, yeah. very much like Ronnie or uh, what's the John C. Riley music movie, Johnson. whatever oh, that. Um,
1: Yeah, I forget. What <laughs> yeah. Call it. yeah. Except yeah.
0: except they want you to do the cocaine. They're not trying to tell you not to do it. They're like <laughs> really like no, you yeah. should do it. If you do yeah. it, I'll buy you any record you want on your want list. Uh, you know, oh, if yeah. you do it, you know you're going It'll be better for your band. You know, like it. It really is something that. Fuck! I saw it. Yeah. And I yeah, was a little could, bit older.
1: You can really get yourself. I mean, I remember my uncle telling me when we got signed. He said, "Keep keep your nose clean." And I was like, what are you "Talking about like I'm 19." Like, and then years later, I was like, "Oh, I knew what he was talking about." And it was around everywhere. Like we weren't the only band. You know, there was so many bands that we would party with. You know, <laughs> like so it was it was a big thing in the early 2000s. But I just I I don't like the idea of how we had these older people in our life that were providing it um encouraging it and you know we kind of felt cool you know we're like oh wow this is cool we're hanging out with these older people and they're doing it we're doing it this is so glamorous and it's, it's hot well, you know
0: especially when you realize like they would have lost friends at this point to this shit yeah. and yet yeah. here they are passing it on to younger people like you know like uh i don't know you'd, you'd hope they'd know better or you yeah. they, they should know better because you know like like we're saying it's you know you got friends that aren't even here anymore that we're telling you to do these things and it's like yeah there's a lot of people i know that did not make it through this that you know and even like when success starts coming and people find their way into drugs it's a machine and it's a momentum thing where there are people that should be like no we need to stop this you need to get help right now and they don't because you're their livelihood and yeah. they need you to stay on the road to keep the machine going
1: yeah the thing i will also say about it is like they kind of introduced us to it but i guess it's in our in a way it's our fault that we kept doing it you know later into our 20s we're adults we should we should know better to be like these older people <laughs> you know that got us into this maybe aren't as cool as we thought they were and maybe we should try and look at uh, self-reflect and see look have a hard look in the mirror at ourselves You know. I think it was their fault that they kind of introduced it when we were teenagers, but later in life, we should have probably had the right mind to stop
0: it. But by the mid two thousands and by the later two thousands, like until the fentanyl, like I was, I don't know when fentanyl came on, but like into this area that we're in now, it felt like drugs were back and like, you could be playing a DIY hardcore show or you could be playing, you know, like a stadium yeah, and someone's going to be with a bag of cocaine there. And it just felt like there was this period where I don't know what happened. Like, I I'd be, I'd be, I'm fascinated by it because, you know, cocaine was popular in the 80s, but it felt like throughout the 90s, it wasn't around again as much as when that, you know, early 2000s, mid 2000s, it was, it was a snowstorm.
1: Oh, everyone was doing it. Yeah, everyone was doing it. And that's why I think for us, maybe it felt normal <laughs> because everywhere you went, like everywhere you went, a bar in Toronto, you hear a guy, you go take a piss, Someone in the next thoughts, you know, you just heard that everywhere. You know, I'm sure you've heard it everywhere. Yeah, Yeah, it's like everyone's doing it in Toronto. Everyone's doing it on tour. I remember being on multiple tours back like in 2002, 2003. Every band we were out with, we were all always doing it. Um, So I guess that's maybe why we felt like, oh, I mean, everyone's doing it. Yeah, maybe we don't have a problem. You know, maybe this is just how I don't know. And we liked it, too. Like, that's the thing is we also had a good time. So it's hard to stop that kind of thing
0: yeah and i think it did it it, it takes something like you know uh, you know losing friends or or fentanyl or something that has to put a hard stop to it because like you're saying it is a good time until you see why it's not a good time yeah it's it's a party right like
1: it was definitely um for us i think it was eye-opening the whole Derek situation Um, even though he had not done drugs it was a different substance that almost killed him essentially and then I think that was you know one of those things where you kind of have to kind of look and say like wow my one of my best friends almost just died because of this and you know and how did we how did we have a hand in that and we did even though we weren't even close to drinking as much as he was drinking we were drinking and we had been drinking with him and so we had a hand in that and there's no way around it
0: well there's no way around it even Without you guys having, you know, as you said, uh, what you said, as a hand in it because the whole industry is built on it. You're paid yeah. in beer before you're paid money. Like you're saying, an an all liquor rider until you have to play a dry campus is completely normal. To have, yeah. you know, like they're gonna give it to you. It's funny. Like I had a friend of mine, uh, or uh, try and bring a bunch of beers backstage at a show and get upset when the security guards wouldn't let them. And I'm like, yo, this is like the easiest shit to get when you're in a band. Like. Never work. beer just pours out of the taps <laughs> once you're in a band like it's getting away from alcohol that's a hard part I music. know I
1: have like friends or even like family come to shows and like they'll look at the rider be like you get this every day yeah. bottle a bottle of Jack bottle of vodka bottle of tequila every day I'm like every day every day like, that is crazy yeah we don't do that anymore like we'll we'll get like we'll just go buy our own you know and just keep it like one bottle of vodka will last like four weeks now. <laughs> we don't need one every day.
0: It's all, it's just part of it, right? Like that's there when you get there, the writer's there. So if you have a problem with it, or if you don't have a problem with it, even if you're just like, oh, what's this experimenting? Yeah. It could become a problem really quickly because, you know, if you drink every day in the normal world, you're an alcoholic. If you drink every day in the band music world, you're just a, a
1: <laughs> on just the a
0: road. band dude.
1: Yeah, you're just on the road.
0: I got it like I'm... Yeah. I'm lucky I was straight edge because I'm sure I would have a problem with it. Oh, thought not doubt in my mind that I would have if How long how long have you been straight edge for? Not not anymore. Now I smoke a lot of weed. Oh. But <laughs> until the weed, I was straight <laughs> edge for since I was like sixteen. Oh okay. Until I was like thirty. Oh, okay. but you started, don't you don't drink. No, like once in a while, like I'll have something, but yeah, like it really just you know, I never like you're saying like with with the drugs, it's a condition thing. You know, like yeah. you get conditioned to Enjoy it, and, and condition to kind of have good times around it, and then it yeah. becomes part of a lifestyle. And I, don't, yeah. I think I skipped out the conditioning. Weed, on the other <laughs> hand, I love that stuff. That is awesome. <laughs> it really.
1: Are wish... you are you vegan too? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Okay. Yeah, I, I went vegan during the pandemic, though I wasn't vegan until oh. very recently. Um, oh, you got to watch that Moby movie. You'd, you'd like that one. It's it's cool. I, I I do, and I probably will, but at the same time, like, well, I'm vegan. Why do I like? <laughs> like i'm already i like you know i'm already in the church i don't need to be talked into the door anymore like i I follow like these vegan websites for recipes because i love my kids aren't vegan but like i love cooking for myself and you know it'll be like 10 vegan movies every vegan needs to watch right now it's like unless it's telling me that this vegan shit is really bad for me and this whole thing's (laughs) been a con i don't need to see it like i already know that all this shit i like i know what's up like that's why i'm doing it but
1: yeah uh, the movie makes i mean yeah the movie makes a lot of a sense and good points that's why i was like shit i gotta i gotta do something about this you know it's it's yeah. very, very like it, you you walk away going like fuck I, i'm an asshole <laughs>
0: it, it, like it is so you know for me i think like the biggest and this is probably says more about my character than anything else but i think my biggest hold up in the vegan thing was the fact that people kept telling me i had to do it and then when i finally was just like why not why not try it and i realized like oh shit it's just it's super easy yeah. Like I'm, I'm not good at anything. I never learned how to drive a car cause it was too hard, but you know, I know how to be vegan because it's like this, mo- like, it's just like, Oh, I'll buy this instead of this, you yeah. know? And when you're on the road now, Oh my gosh. Like it, it, especially in the UK, like every fast food restaurant has like three vegan choices on the menu. And that's just if you're eating fast food, obviously there's vegan restaurants everywhere now. It feels it's a lot easier, way easier, way easier. I think, than the I 90s. think
1: when you started probably touring in the early two thousands, it probably would have been a little bit different for you
0: yeah i think and i we had vegan members in the band so yeah. i could have easily done it because other yeah. people were but it wasn't like you could walk into burger king and get a vegan whopper which is 100 percent what i would have wanted back then And yeah so,
1: i think you know uh especially like in the style of music you play too, v and veganism is like a huge thing like that's another thing i took away from the movie is i i already kind of knew that but like it really came at me in that movie where like mo- like hardcore in hardcore like, vegan's a thing. Like, it's a big thing.
0: Yeah, and it's funny because it even, like, I've I've been fascinated where, where it starts with punk and hardcore. I think a lot yeah. of it's the Krishna influence, the very Krishna stuff, Um the health food stores and sort of, like, the yippies and that kind of world, I think, is an influence on it, too. But then you hear about all the peace punk bands in England. They were vegan. They were, like, vegan bands back in, like, the crass era. Yeah. So, yeah, I guess it's just kind of baked in there. You know like a uh, like like the awareness about what's happening in the world and sort of awareness what's happening with animals and mind you i listen to every vegan anthem ever and it did not make me go vegan so (laughs) yeah i don't know yeah yeah, i don't know how successful it was in its indoctrination attempt is your
1: your wife vegan too
0: no the kids aren't and and lauren's not but a lot of what i do now is just like make things that have separate proteins so i'm making like a you know a tomato sauce i'll like a meat sauce i'll do the meat separate and i'll do like a vegan tvp separate and then kind of like just mix them up okay now it's just i like doing it because every time i sit down to make food it's like a magic trick it's like i want to (laughs) turn like this watermelon into tuna or this bag of flour (laughs) into chicken (laughs) or something like i feel yeah i feel like god when i'm (laughs) up there you know (laughs) just constantly yeah you know going for uh going for these changes and and yeah i don't know is it is it interesting now that you're at a point where because we have people come on this podcast well, we my, my brother and i but me have people come on this podcast and their entry point to punk is you and so now huh. you're dealing with a generation of of punk bands that you were their nirvana or green day or or offspring like you're that band and now and we're now like several generations even into these kids you know yeah. like we're we're probably like two or three generations of bands into these kids and you've become you know the rancid on that first warp tour
1: yeah though. i mean i'm sure you feel the same way like i i've been asked this before but it's kind of like i still feel like we're a young band and mm-hmm. i don't know if you feel like that too like mm-hmm. i still feel like we have so much more to do like i don't know what it is i don't know how rancid felt in 2001 or or how bad religion felt in 1995 but i still feel like yeah it's flattering to hear bands start their bands because of us or we were there nirvana or whatever but i i'm in my head i don't feel like we're that band i still feel like we're still a kind of a young band i don't that's just the way i feel i don't know why um you know i've had i've had you know even bands like neck deep or something will say like yeah so i saw some 41 in england in 2002 and blah 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 and that's great but it's like I, I don't know I something about that whole thing I'm just I I don't I don't ever think about it because I just I really feel like we have so much more and we're such a young band still and we're probably we're not I know that <laughs> yeah
0: well because I think it's like like the perception of time you know yeah. like the it's just so different like how at some points like you're saying like that between you know the the Spider-Man soundtrack and the half hour of power it's like two years and how it felt kind of long at the time but this yeah. whole thing goes by in, like, a blink of an eye. Like, True. They, it's 20 years in, in a day, it feels like.
1: Yeah, and also the thing is, like, a band like us, we've had major ups and downs in our career. Like, massive. Like, we're to the point where, like, you know, all killers here, and then it's kind of like this, and we kind of go along, and then we go, rah! We take, like, a huge dip, like, between the mid uh, the end of the 2000s with records that, you know, the, the that were basically, as, as a record label would say a flop, um for us we like them but yeah. they just they didn't they weren't commercially successful um so uh so you know we had these ups and downs we're to the point now where like we're playing bigger shows than we ever have now which is strange to like I don't know how that stuff happens um so it's to me I'm just kind of like I'm just taking it like as people say like one day at a time and one show at a time where I want to be shocked every time I walk on stage I don't want to expect it like, I'm sure every time Motley Crue and Def Leppard walk on stage right now, they're like, oh, we're playing in front of a stadium, sold out. Yeah. I don't want to expect, and I'm sure they expect that. I don't want to expect it. So I want to, every time I walk on a stage and it's, and I I don't even want to even know if it's sold out. I just want to be shocked every time um, now, because that's just the way I, my my mind works. And, uh, I, you know, I'm pretty happy where we are. I'm glad that Derek's, I think the biggest thing is, is like Derek's healthy and that's important. And uh, he's really into the band again. And he is, he's so driven now. And so I think the band I'm happy cause I think the band will keep going at least, you know, I don't yeah. know whether we're going to have another dip or I don't, I have no idea. It doesn't, that's not really important to me. It's just that we're still playing and we're still, and we're happy about playing.
0: Yeah. Like it feels like, I guess we'll like, I saw you guys, we were on tour together in Australia on that sound wave tour. And it felt like that was a pretty low point morale-wise in the band. I don't think Derek was doing too well at that point. And just to see, like, you know, once again, through our our mutual friend Tom, like, the success and kind of, like, the, like, comeback. I don't want to say comeback because it never went away, but, like, just, like, how it's sort of at another point, it's, like, really awesome to see that, you know, it's like this career where, like, you are riding ups and downs, but, like, there's still sort of this, like, you know, up to go to.
1: Yeah, I think um I think with bands like ours that like can can stick around this long, because both of our bands now have been around for a long time. Um, there's something to be said that our bands are still doing well and people want to see us. It means that we we always were good. You know, like because you get that through your career. It's like this band's shitty, they suck, and blah, well, you you hear about all this stuff and you it starts to kind of get to your head. But now I'm like thinking, uh, you know, like. Kind of like a big fuck you to those people because like people still want to see us actually more than ever. You know, it's like which which is it's just like we win and you lose, you
0: know. Yeah. Well, I think like every time I'd walk through our practice space and hear bands that, you know, it's it's humbling when you kind of realize how many bands don't even get an opportunity to do it one time around. Yeah. Let alone to be still doing it decades in. It's it's like, wow, that's crazy. That is so And then you have to look at bands like, you know, the Pennywise and the Rances and the bands that were that have had these careers where they've just kind of kept doing it. And to be able to make a career out of your art is is like the greatest thing on earth.
1: Yeah. Well, that's the goal.
0: That's the goal, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It's like the. uh, It's like all this idea of like, oh, this band's selling out, this band's doing that, this band's doing this. It's like we're all trying to do the same thing. We all want people to see our music and we all want to try and make a career doing this thing or try and make this thing sustainable maybe not a career in it but make this thing as sustainable as possible and yeah it's it's amazing that like years later it's all these bands that play together these terrible all ages shows <laughs> in southern ontario
1: yeah i mean i st- i always I, I, like there's been moments where i've tried to like uh define selling out and i always what i always come back to is like a band selling out is doing something they don't want to do just for money that's mm-hmm. kind of what i always think about selling out is like i'm doing this tropicana commercial i don't want to do it but they're offering me you know, a million bucks so i'm going to do it and i'm proud that our band never really has done anything like that where we've never want, like we even wanted to do that shitty spider-man video <laughs> you <Yeah. laughs> know we wanted to do it like so it's yeah. like
0: <laughs> we've never I don't blame you that like did you meet <laughs> sam raimi did sam raimi direct it no it's mark Klassfeld. okay okay because yeah. sam raimi directed that spider-man right i think maybe <laughs> I think it's a yeah, sam raimi yeah. one yeah yeah, there's. You must not have been at the an, premiere. You should know this. You were. You're probably at the premiere for this thing. I think we were at the premiere. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: But again, like this, so long ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I get it. I get um, it. But yeah, I mean, we just never really. I'm sure. I'm sure you guys have never done it either. It's like where you've done something where you're just like you feel bad about it that you're just doing it because you're being told to do or you're getting a lot of money for. And we I'm proud we... That we've never really done it.
0: We've done it. We played Wake Stock on Toronto <laughs> Island one time, and we were like, well, they're going to give us a, th- they're giving us like, I forget how much money, but it was in the grand scheme of things, not that much. We were like, oh, we let's do it. Like, how bad could it be? It was pretty bad. <laughs> it was pretty bad. <laughs> that was very early on.
1: <laughs> so you got the feeling of like, we shouldn't be doing this right now. Yeah.
0: Like, I was like yeah. looking at the giant inflatable deodorant can beside me, and I'm like, yeah, I don't think this is worth the money. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah I mean there's always those instances where you play and you're kind of like oh this
0: is shittier than this I thought is sh- it was gonna be yeah. but
1: that's not like selling out that's like this has just turned
0: out bad <laughs> that's you know? true and yeah like even even when and I think even when things are like oh this is bad those are some of the best memories oh, you yeah. know you remember unless those it's, ones yeah unless it's like you know a war breaking out around you type things but like yeah like the the, the disastrous shows or like the weird tours where that's what I
1: was telling you, like when we did my interview, like the interview for Cones Cave is like you guys like have this kind of a- like eclectic sound. Like, like you guys can go out with agnostic front or you could go out with Arcade Fire and it's not weird.
0: Well, apparently with Arcade Fire it was a little weird. for the fans.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But, you know, the Germans, they uh, they don't
0: they like they, they don't fuck real, around. Real,
1: real deal music fans. Right. So, yes. And they tell you what they're thinking. I remember doing an interview in Germany on the second record. And they're like, so uh, why is this album so much shittier than your last one? <laughs> We're like, oh, well, we kind of like it. <laughs> it's just like honest. They're just as super honest.
0: They they definitely. And that's like the funny thing. Because like you can talk to like the smallest crust band ever. Or you can talk to like, you know, some 41. Or you can talk to the Foo Fighters. And it's humbling to know that every single band will have the same experience in Germany of having an interviewer. <laughs> Completely make them feel like shit at some yeah. point in the interview.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's totally. it's always been like that. Which which I appreciate, you know. I know at, this, it's at this point in my career, yeah. I want honesty.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I think to know that you know you've experienced it, it makes you feel like you're part of the union. Like yeah. you're you're part of this thing. Yeah, cone you're part of this thing. And anytime you want to come back on this podcast, please know you're always welcome. Awesome, I appreciate that.
1: It's been a it's been a blast. Thanks for having me.
0: Thank you, Cone, for coming on the show. And Cone will be back for a part two at some point in the future because uh, Cone's awesome. That, that was a lot of fun. It was like six hours of intensive conversation. It's like 20 years of conversation compressed into the span of a few days. So we, we, we're, we're caught up now. We can, we can go here as friends. Speaking of going forward as friends, you got to see who my new friend is on the next episode of Turned Out a Punk because coming up on the next episode of Turned at a Punk, a lot of people worked to make this happen for a very long time. From the band Metallica, Robert Trujillo is on the show. And he is, he's awesome. There's no other way to put it. This is a, oh, this is a good one. I'm very excited for you to hear this. This is a, uh, Yeah, this is cool. Uh, That is on the next episode. Uh, Once again, thanks to Steve Martin and Tristan, of course, show producer and guest booker uh, for working so hard to make that happen, but you'll hear next week. All right. Well, that's it for me. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Remember, as always, Black Lives Matter and the lives and issues of Indigenous peoples all over the world matter. We need to protect trans kids and help trans people protect their rights and their liberties and their safety and making sure people are safe and stop hate and violence towards people of different faiths, races, nationalities, sexualities, making sure that people have the rights uh, for the reproductive systems enshrined and safe. Because this is not just happening in America. It's not just happening in Canada. You can see it happening all over the world. These There are people that are, are, are attacking people's Lives and freedom, because we're not talking about political issues here. These aren't political things. These are just basic human rights shit. Like people deserve to be able to be free and not have to worry about violence and discrimination. So get involved with people that are affecting positive changes in this world or organizations. Uh, Donate your time, your money, your whatever you can, because it'll make you feel better to help. You can hear my cat meowing in the background. I apologize for uh, that. Well, I don't apologize for him. I apologize for the, uh, distracting meows in the background. Dusty, he's a, a new cat, but anyway, back to the wrap up. Um, so, uh, speaking of getting involved, start a band, start a fanzine, start a podcast. Punk is a genre built on you getting involved and participating and, uh, it'll make you feel better. And, you know, maybe, maybe it's just drawing a flyer. Maybe it's just, you know, drawing a zine and, and putting it out, you know, a couple copies, you know, just keeping it for yourself. Doing creative stuff makes you feel better. Speaking about feeling better, try meditating. I didn't believe in it either. And I know many people have been practicing it for centuries and it is very well established, but holy, it is uh, beneficial and it takes a little bit of work. But once you get in it, not as much work as, as you'd think too, before you start feeling the benefits and seeing the benefits in your day-to-day life. So, you know, try it. What's the worst that can happen? There's lots of free apps. Uh, sign your organ donor cards because by the time they look for those organs, you don't need them anymore because you're 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 dead. It's, it's really you know well you're not dead dead but you're not going to have any other reason to have these organs. They're just literally dead weight at that point, right? So donate them. It can change someone's life. I've seen it happen. Miracles. It can perform miracles. Oh, my gosh. The cat meowing is thrown off my wrap-up. I'm trying to remember what I've got to say. I think that's it. I think that's it. Thank you for listening and stay safe out there. I'll see you on the next episode. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun –